Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the sixth episode of Full Metal Tuxedo, the podcast about the strange and unexplained. <laughs> my name is Gregory, your host, and of course, my co-host, Patrice. Hello, everybody. My co-writer, my uh, co-creator, my muse, the brains behind the whole Tell Me More series on the Armored Skeptic channel. Uh, we have a... We didn't... Uh, <laughs> We didn't prepare quite as much for this episode as we usually do, uh, but Patrice has, uh, this one's a little bit different. Patrice is going to be trying to sell some time traveler or time slip stories to me this week. And uh, this is something that I'm not totally sold on. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of time travel there. <laughs> yeah, and we're not late. Uh, we're actually early. Uh, you guys are all late. Uh, this is uh, this is it, this is all about time travel. So, really, you're you're the ones that are out of time, not us. That's your fault, not our fault. Yeah, if you're 22 minutes into the future. Yeah, that's right. We traveled 22 <laughs> minutes into the past, so we're a little jet lagged, uh, time lagged, as it were. I hope you're all doing well. Um, I don't think we have any stories to start off this week. How do you want to start us off, Patrice? Let me think. What have we been thinking about this week? What have we been talking about that's weird? I mean, that's that's a very broad question. <laughs> Literally everything <laughs> we talk about everything. is weird. Um, a good one to start is we, we were talking about the squatting man and plasma discharge and the... Oh, yeah. Well, that's funny. So, Patrice, you guys should Google this. Look up the squatting man carving, squatting man insignia, squatting man petroglyph. It's what it looks like is kind of a man doing a crab walk position, and he's got two balls between his knees and his elbows. And so this is actually something that uh, I looked into years ago. So I was really excited when Patrice brought this to me. So uh, if you look at this insignia, this is one of the oldest petroglyphs on the planet. But what's really bizarre about it is that it's seen in one form or another almost all around the world. In separate cultures, separate continents, cultures that never met each other, they've all drawn this squatting man insignia with the two balls uh, on either side of his waist, between his knees and his elbows. And uh, when I looked into it, I came to the conclusion years ago uh, that this was something that was seen in the sky. And it's not just a random shape. Um, it sort of looks like a man sometimes uh, with something maybe dangling between his legs. <laughs> um, well, the thing is that that's what I, um, I thought that it was almost a symbol of both men and women. So it was almost like a humankind symbol because right. it had the anatomy of both. Well, and that's one way to look at it. And maybe even that's where some of these fertility god symbols come from. Um, but the thing is, is that is a shape that actually appears in nature. But you wouldn't know that because it's rare to see it. And it's not just some random shape. In actuality, the head and the arms are the top half of an hourglass shape. 
and the legs and the bit dangling between his legs if they choose to draw that part that is the bottom half of an hourglass i just put it i'm just putting it on the uh full metal tuxedo instagram story, oh perfect so you can see it there yeah so go to the metal tuxedo go to the full metal tuxedo instagram patrice has put up an example for you to look at so yeah, but that's... what is really interesting about this is the the two balls on either side of his waist so the thing is the way that that looks from the side certainly looks like a squatting man uh, with balls basically floating beside him. However, this is a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional shape. And people that saw this on the ground would have only have seen it from the side. Now, how they saw it, I don't know. It's possible that this was something that was happening in space, and it's also possible that it was something happening in our own atmosphere. Um, but what it is, is that's a natural shape that plasma takes in when it's uh, in a large macro uh, sort of uh, function. So when if you were to look at that shape from the top down as opposed to the side, the, the squatting man is the side view. If you were to look at that top down, the two balls are actually cross sections of a, a hula hoop that go around his waist or more like a, a donut that go around his waist. And that is known as a toroidal field. And the hourglass part, which is the arms and the legs, that is, um, <laughs> that is the essentially the energy flowing through that toroidal field. Um, now this is this is something uh, not. It's not just that's something we see in plasma, but it's actually a function of the entire electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, if you were to have a big disk magnet, you can't, obviously you can't see the flow of magnetism, but if you had a big disk magnet, um, that disk would be creating a toroidal field uh, around it of magnetism. And then also, you, you, again, you can't see it, but also that hourglass shape would be flowing through the center of the magnet. And those are the, those two uh, flows of energy together, the toroidal field sort of spinning in on itself and then the hourglass spinning down through the, the, uh, the magnet or th through the conductor all the way to the bottom. That's the second part uh, of the function. And uh, when you add those two movements in electromagnetism together, uh, electricity and magnetism, that's how you sort of create <clears throat> the magnetic, uh, magnetic pull towards that uh, magnet. That's kind of how magnets work, um, is that they hold on to energy. They're, they're like static energy, and they just they constantly spin and move like a machine. That's a function that uh, Tesla referred to as the rotating magnetic field. Uh, what, did, what did you think of it when you first found it, Patrice? Well, it was actually a listener email that that tipped me off to oh, it. Oh, very cool. Um, but he has said not to mention his like, name or oh, email good. address when he tells a story. But if you're listening, I'm sure you know who you are because it was like, <laughs> hello. Yeah, if you don't want us um, to say your name, just give us a pseudonym that we can use, like a nickname or, or something. Just so we can... Anonymous. Anonymous. I don't really <laughs> like saying anonymous. <laughs> 
If you make it something yeah, lame like Werewolf Man 78, we're also not going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we will assign you. Yeah, we'll assign you a pseudonym. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, when I first saw it, I thought that it looked like the trilateral insignia. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because that has kind of similar sim- symbolism with the two balls across, like, you know, cross-section triangles. Right. You know, so it's a more stylized version of that petroglyph in the future. And there are multiple iterations of the Trilateral Commission's uh, insignia. Uh, they Okay, mm. well, they have two main symbols, one that basically looks like the recycling symbol, and then the other one, which is like a pyramid with two balls on the side of it. And then the, the pyramid kind of continues up, almost like an as above, so below sort of symbol. But it's... But see, the, th- the thing about the Trilateral Commission, too, is like, you know, it was started by Rockefeller in the 70s. Oh, and the Rockefellers but, are infamously into UFOs and stuff. But that's the thing, because it wasn't really about, like, UFOs. It was about, you know, interrelations between certain countries. But that's, that's the thing. Like, that insignia has been used, and people claim that they've seen it on UFOs. And right. Things like that as well. And so I, I kind of thought that was true. interesting. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I really uh, like. I, I don't really know like the validity. That. I haven't looked into the validity of the petroglyphs on the rocks and if they're around the same time, because you know, they're the claims that are on the internet, of, like squatting men mm-hmm. um, symbol. Is that they seem to be like what the things that they've noticed about the squatting man symbol is that they've, they originate around the same kind of time. And it's also around the same kind of time that rock paintings change from being colorful and quite um, in depth. And then they kind of turned into either like just white or red right. and kind of more simple. Right. So whether there was some kind of cataclysm or whatever it was. Well, that is the, that is the theory. So there's, um, there's this whole group of people, they call themselves uh, the plasma universe people. Uh, if you look into the electric universe model or the plasma universe model, uh, that's much more closely related to sort of the, the set of physics that Tesla uses as opposed to uh, Einstein. Mm. Um, and they believe, uh, like I have sort of teased in several videos and podcasts, that, uh, I mean, this is something I really like playing around with too. It's a great thought experiment. But imagining that the electromagnetic spectrum is the ruling force the the ruling um sort of might behind the entire universe like even the whole if you think of the holographic universe model even that requires that everything is technically light even matter is just light that's been frozen into a solid state um and you know everything works on waves on wave forms and things uh react based on whatever wave um exists in the universe that that dictates the way that they behave and um so what people believe is the reason that this is one of the oldest uh petroglyphs carvings like it's it comes in many different forms um is because this was something that people witnessed thousands of years ago that actually was related to some sort of a apocalyptic cataclysmic event uh here on earth maybe even that uh, big reset event in the younger Dryas period and uh, that's sort of what people like to believe is that that was something that was seen in the sky 
while the planet was essentially bombarded with whatever the hell it was bombarded with. And it's possible that that was a big arc of plasma between some sort of planet or planetoid that came into the solar system. And then it literally struck us like a lightning bolt. And then that's what you could see between our planet and that planet in the sky when it happened. But uh, you were saying something about the geographical locations of yeah, these like petroglyphs being interesting. Yeah, they seem to say that it's, it appears that it came from the south because of like the position of where they found them and that they tend to be in protected kind of areas. So it's like where there would have been people protected from whatever kind of cataclysm happened in the south. Interesting. So you think that it was something that happened, say, in the south? It happened in the South Pole, or do you think that it happened in the North Pole? And well, no, like they say that it happened in a southerly direction, okay. so from the south. Very good. So I wonder if it even happened like uh, right at the South Pole, because I mean, unless unless there was something horribly wrong with the Earth's electromagnetic magnetic field, which I guess is possible, that the the magnetic field was. Like, this could have mm. even happened during the pole shift, the pole flip. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I mean, our poles magnetically flip every, you know, f- 15 to 20,000 years or so. Apparently, they say we're overdue. But imagine that the reason that happens is because the sun's little brother or planet X or some sort of large magnetic source comes too close to the earth and that is what flips our pole and while we're in that sort of like vulnerable state that our planet and that planet sort of arc electricity across from one to the other and yeah so if i don't know because i haven't really looked deeply into this i don't know the validity of the claims of these petroglyphs being all around the world um and if that is right or not like that's just what the internet says I have so s- i haven't actually looked into that i have seen the multiple locations i don't know about how prevalent it is yeah and i also I- want to know like i don't know if if it's th- tens of thousands of years apart you know if it is around the same time then that's like relevant you know but if mm. it is different times like it is essentially a stick figure there's you know, not it's not like it's it's not exactly the most complicated design, but what makes yeah, it interesting like, is the a two kid balls. could probably draw that without having any kind of understanding of what that is. Right? Do you know what I mean? It could also just be a cultural thing, like one culture created it, and then sort of as they migrated across the earth over mm. thousands of years, they just continued to sort of share that symbol. I guess that is a possibility too. It is interesting that it's the headdress that the Dogen people wear. Right. Is is that? that same kind of symbology so i found that interesting and a lot of people say too that that is um there's almost representations of it being more like mantid like man oh like a praying mantis yeah interesting which you know i always piques my interest because i always love to you know look into the mantid aliens because i feel like they don't get enough um airtime like well, we the, always talk about the greys and the reptilians but no one's really talking about these mantids well that believe it or not the the praying mantis design alien was one of the earliest 
um, sort of alien uh, archetypes to hit the zeitgeist. And we've sort of mm. forgotten that because the greys and the reptilians are so popular now and the, the Nordics or whatever you want to call them, they're so popular now. Yeah. Um, but the praying mantis aliens really were the ones that sort of started it all off. And um, the earliest, um, some of the, yeah, some of the earliest alien art sort of, like, they depict them as giant praying mantises. And that's even one of the designs of Alien that David Wilcock and uh, what's his name? Um, the blue. Emery Smith. Emery Smith. No, no, or no. Corey Good. Corey Good. Corey Good. Yeah, Corey Good. That, that was one of the designs that they used to show. Um, mm. Except they said it was like 12 feet tall and it was golden. But very, um, you're right though. The the praying mantis aliens, cool. yeah, they don't get enough love. <laughs> I gotta say. Mm. So you think so that yeah, those are think, our true overlords? Well, I don't know. I just think I just thought that, that was a pretty interesting, kind of little thing which I had never really heard much about before. So I thought that that was good. That's a cool way to start the conversation because well, it, it has been dominating our conversation. To the point where we like spent probably about half an hour, 40 minutes looking up different kinds of praying mantises, like real <laughs> praying mantises. Yeah, and trying to figure out the nefarious truth behind the Trilateral Commission. I do love yeah, that, so That's though. another thing. I don't, like, those, yeah, I don't, is it a hidden in plain sight thing? You know, like, sometimes are those kind of committees just created because that symbolism already means something else? Well, what is the so purpose of the Trilateral a, Commission? What is what is their main I I mandate? I think it was just it was basically just to about influencing trade between countries like America and Japan. Hmm. I think that that's. Let me look. Oh, I can fact check myself. Hang on. I know that like it is there is a military influence in the uh, organization though. The Trilateral Commission is a non-governmental nonpartisan discussion group founded by David Rockefeller in July 1973 to foster closer cooperation between Japan, Western Europe, and North America. Right. Interesting. So whatever that means. And, well, I mean, uh, people have some interesting theories about the Trilateral Commission because if you look at the roster of people that are involved and have been involved, it's basically anybody with any amount of power in the Western world has been part of it. And so a lot of people like to point at it and say that it's one of the Illuminati um, sort of, yeah, like you like said, a, hidden, a rich person think tank. It is. It's like a hidden in plain sight <laughs> Illuminati kind of thing. And it's a, uh, non, it's a non-secret secret. Club. Right. Well, I mean, and, and saying that it's about trade and encouraging good trade relations between X countries or whatever, like that is actually kind of a vague description of the organization because when okay. you, when you look at it like what it is that sort of runs an economy and drives an economy it's like really almost everything can be put under that scope including oh. the war. trilateral commission's bylaws deny members to be public officials it draws its members from politics business and academia right and has three chairpersons one from one each region right so there's no literal politicians on it at least none that are like currently serving as far as I know. Um, but, you know, it's like the richest of the rich, the most powerful of the most powerful. Um, basically, almost anybody that's been accused of being <laughs> in the Illuminati has been in the trilateral. Yeah, that's the, that's the, um, that's a prerequisite. Yeah, it almost is. <laughs> it's like Illuminati gateway. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's a little, that's how we think, isn't it? It starts with praying mantises, starts with ancient petroglyphs, turns into secret societies. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the natural flow of, uh, it's the natural progression of those uh, things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I love that. I mean, the, it's not the only petroglyph, though, that is seen around the world uh, around that same time. There's also a spiral. Have you seen the spiral? Uh, no. Yeah, so I haven't. I don't really know much about it. Like, I literally only just found out about it like two days ago. Well, there's there are versions of what I would say look like the squatting man, though, too, in the northern hemisphere. Like even the Nordics or the the Scandinavians, the uh, uh, carve or drew them as well. Except they look more like a warrior. But you you sort of have to look for it. Like any kind of stick figurey kind of um petroglyph that has two balls sort of floating around the waist i think like they all they all they all sort of that's like i'm so immature because that makes me laugh every time you say that (laughs) basically any of those i think kind of fit that archetype and i think that this i think i'm willing to say i think that this was something that everybody saw in the sky around the same time and that that spiral um, it's also not only a petroglyph, but it's also uh, carved. There's carved examples, uh, and they all date to around the same time. And I'm betting. Are we talking, what are we? Are we talking about the squatting man now, or are we talking about the trilateral insignia? No, the squatting man. So oh, okay. with the squatting man, quite often it'll be paired with this spiral design. And um, okay. so I wonder too if those weren't two things that were seen in the sky around the same time. Hmm. Though, again, just like a stick figure, man, a spiral is a pretty intuitive design. Like, almost any artist from any time period. Like, I drew spirals when I was in elementary school. So, like... That was one thing that I always wanted to do well. I never could. Like, draw a perfect spiral. You know how there was always that kid in class that was a really good drawer? Yeah. And they could just, like, draw perfect circles and spirals. Like, and I would try and I absolutely... Could never do it. Oh. Like, I never. No. It's probably because I never had the patience. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, so, uh, super chats are welcome. If you want to have your voice heard uh, today, right now, send us a super chat. Um, and, uh, you know, we prefer to answer questions, but, uh, you know, if you just have nice words or you know, a nice comment about what we're talking about. That's cool too. Uh, and we also have an email full metal tuxedo at gmail.com. That's for your firsthand accounts. If you have a story of something that's happened to you, uh, something you've, or even just something you find interesting, like that squatting man insignia thing. Uh, we prefer, uh, firsthand accounts though. People have been sending us lots of stories, uh, sort of like art bell coast to coast AM send us stories about uh, weird things that have happened to you. We've got a handful of really interesting stories so far. Uh, hopefully we can read a couple for you tonight. And uh, what I, um, so make sure, yeah, make sure you send those to fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com. If you've got uh, a microphone and you want to literally have your voice played over the show, send us a, a, a voice recording and make sure that you add a, just a quick little uh, synopsis in typing about what it is. 
We get such a kick out of that. Oh, yeah. We love that. We love that. We've been really happy with the stories we've gotten so far. So please send us your stories and uh, they will eventually be read on the air. Yeah. And I'm working through responding to everybody because I really I don't want people to think that it just gets filed away like you know that we just have to work through right as, <laughs> but yeah. I do read every single one as we yeah as we read each one as Patrice reads each one we uh we let you know that we got it and that it's being put in the queue and uh every once in a while too we do a bonus episode where that's all we do is just read those so uh stay tuned we didn't get to do a bonus episode last week uh hopefully we get to do one this week I just put up the uh, trilateral, the the trilateral insignia, um, on the story now as well. Okay. So you can see that. Yeah. Again, that's the Full Metal Tuxedo Instagram. So we live stream every Saturday night. Uh, we're doing 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time now. Um, yeah, 10, 10 o'clock every Saturday night. We stream live on the Armored Gregory YouTube channel. And then we upload the final version to the Armored Skeptic More YouTube channel. And also to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few other podcast services. Uh, so, you know, if you, don't mi- if you miss the live show, don't worry. It'll be on your favorite podcast app. Okay. So... That's what I want to say... I uh, last week I had twenty Instagram followers, oh, and very this nice. week I have one hundred and thirty-four. Oh, well, you mean so. on uh, <laughs> on your personal Instagram? Yeah, on my um, Full Metal Patrice one. Oh yeah. <laughs> so follow Patrice at Full Metal Patrice <laughs> at Instagram, and I'm also at Armored Skeptic on Instagram as well. So follow us on Instagram. We keep you up to date on uh, podcasts a, I, and sh- and episodes. I just uh, want to say too that I do. I have a private, like a personal Instagram. That I won't accept people I don't know on just because it's got pictures of my family and my friends and stuff like that on there. So if you want to see my day-to-day, I have the Full Metal Patrice one, which I've dedicated to showing people my life. That's right. (laughs) So please follow me on that one. (laughs) Full Metal Patrice. All right. So do you want to get right into the, uh, the time traveler stories? Yes. Okay. We can do that. Excellent. Well, the, I thought this would be a fun topic for this week because of the Philadelphia Experiment mm-hmm. episode that you did on Armored Skeptic this week. Yeah, I had a lot of fun making that episode. It uh, didn't do too well. I hate to say that I think that YouTube didn't recommend it. Um, mm. That seems to be <laughs> that seems to be what the analytics say. It's YouTube mm. basically admitted that they didn't. They didn't put it in recommended, so that's really disappointing. I think it was meant to be a three-part episode, a three-parter, mm-hmm. but people have spoken with their feet, so I think we're gonna just yeah pivot yeah, and we'll, maybe do something. We'll a bit just move on to something week. else next week. Yeah, <laughs> um, maybe we will go back to it eventually. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, no, I'm because, definitely gonna want to revisit it because that episode was kind of. Um, setting up what we were going to talk about in the next couple of weeks which is like the like that story in itself is interesting like the relationship between Carl Allen and uh, Morris K. Jessup that is really intriguing well like I almost didn't um 
I w- almost wasn't even interested in revisiting the story of the Philadelphia experiment because it just it is really hard to believe that a lot of people were saying that in the comments is that of all the conspiracy theories that we've covered so far all the all the strange and unexplained and bizarre stories we've done it is one of the harder ones to believe especially considering we're talking about 1940s technology and if you imagine the amount of power it would take to teleport a solid object like hundreds of miles and then the likelihood of it landing perfectly in the ocean just a few hundred miles away instead of just randomly anywhere else in space and time when it could have just appeared in the atmosphere or in deep space or in the center of the earth um like there's a lot of unlikely elements to the story but what i find really interesting about the story is like the actual character drama of all the people involved and how the story even got popularized in the first place well i think for me like when you say it's unbelievable like i don't i don't know if i like it would have also been unbelievable in 1903 or 1905 when nikola tesla said you can hold a light bulb in your hand and i will put an energy wave through it which you can't feel and it will light up the light right well like that would have been completely un believable too like the things that he was putting forward and the technology that he was able to make yeah even now that seems impossible to people based on how we've like been taught electricity works based on what was chosen as the main kind of way that the world was going to have be in the electrical age and i think that's why a lot of people connect tesla to the philadelphia experiment story is because he almost was like a magician and it seems like a magic act. Um, it almost it because of how implausible the entire thing seems. It it's easier to swallow if you know that like Einstein and Tesla were part of it, and it's, that makes it seem like oh okay, so they just worked their genius magic on this. And it situation. was a few months after he died. Yeah, and there was rumors that when he did die. Like his son, uh, his son, his nephew was the ambassador for Serbia in America and everything was left to his nephew. But his nephew said that there was like a few crates missing. Oh, well, and famously, the American government took several of... uh, Allegedly, because they claim that they didn't. Well, they claim they didn't, but his nephew says that they did. Well, um, took several once of his again, works. Please fact check me on that because that was a long time ago that I read that. Sometimes I'm like I don't I don't mean to make stuff up, but I like remember things as well as I can, and then you can't ever find it again on the right. internet. But I have that experience. Yeah, but I've even seen that in documentaries that have been on television, though not the television like <laughs> Ancient Aliens isn't exactly. It's been on television, and yeah. then it's therefore it's real. <laughs> yeah, Ancient Aliens isn't exactly the most factual show of <laughs> I've all seen time. It on Ancient Aliens, <laughs> but um, but that is like that is in the zeitgeist. I think like that and the fact that you know, um, people. Well, it's mistold, but that you know he he fell in love with a pigeon. More accurately, he was looking at a pigeon and imagining that there was, you know, a perfect love for him out there in the world. And that was one of his, you know, one of the last things that he was pondering over before he died, which is so weird because like he definitely never had a wife. And it wasn't until he was basically on his deathbed that he imagined that there was, you know, a soulmate out there for him. Mm. I think that when you're on that level of operation, 
it must be very hard to find somebody that can understand your like you know i'll use a gym term like train insane yeah kind of like mentality that everything in your life is around your work like work actual next level workaholic how do you turn off well it'd be hard to even have friends when you're like that people like there'd be so few people that would even be able to tolerate you let let alone keep up with you when you're talking Mm -hmm. um like he was infamously terrible at communicating um you know, if you read any of the interviews that he used to do in the early 1900s, um, mm. the press just, they didn't know what to do with him. They couldn't understand half of what he was saying. And so, yeah, like what I found interesting about the whole um, Philadelphia experiment was the connection with the Montauk project mm-hmm. and Nikola Tesla having that vast amount of land that happened to be on Long Island as well with the tunnels and the Tesla tower, the giant one that got ripped down in the early, um, in, I think it was like 1917, 1912 or something that mm-hmm. it got ripped down and just that the government kind of continued to use to do those kind of energy experiments and stuff like that in Long Island. You know, so I just, I really wanted to like knit all of that together and kind of, you know, make it, all about because then there was even things that Nikola there was even rumors that Nikola Tesla was there and I thought imagine if Nikola Tesla was actually a time traveler if he had figured all of this out well so even when he died he could have been a feeble old man who died two months before the test but in 1920 or 1917 when he was on that sweet JP Morgan money he was like zapping himself three months into the future from when he died interesting well, they say that Mark Twain was oh, yeah. a time traveler, and Mark Twain was friends with Tesla. So if Mark Twain is a time traveler, you can guarantee that Tesla was the one doing it. So mm. I feel like there, you know, if... So, you know, the the skeptical arguments aside of... You I know, understand how did, for the skeptical of you out there. This yeah. How did, how did they... If you put Highly as, theoretical. Put aside the skeptical argument of how did they generate enough electricity to create that effect. I think that um, the idea of it, like scientifically, there is reason to believe that it's possible that what they say happened with the Philadelphia experiment happened to some degree. That... You they know. say that the that the whole science behind like the the theories behind the Philadelphia experiment is that they can generate enough energy to manipulate that through magnetics to manipulate light. Right. Well, that's so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that the whole idea was um, like the there's no official story with this because. The American uh, Navy denies that not only did the USS Eldridge never, you know, take part in any kind of experiment like that, but it was never even in the Philadelphia Harbor once in its entire career. Um, but, you know, the the idea was that the American government was trying to, uh, or the American Navy, sorry, they were trying to um, make their ships invisible to radar or at least harder to see on radar. And also they were degaussing the ships to repel magnetic mines and magnetic torpedoes. And this was in 1942. And then when they flipped the switch to, you know, create this effect, they accidentally phased 
the ship out of reality and that it reappeared 300 miles away in uh, Virginia and then it phased back and went back to the Philadelphia Harbor and you know there's a lot of stories as to what happened and then a lot of people came along later like Al Bielik and said that uh, he was on the ship or part of it and that he traveled through time and he appeared in uh, August of 1982 or 1983 um, and then came back I know, and then he ended up he, his story is like so yeah, complex so we were, we were going to link all of this together and yeah. it was going to end kind of with the fact that the US actually admitted to doing um, experiments on another destroyer called the USS Tinnaman which ended up having something happen in its um, like the, the generating plant and there was like corona discharges which would have looked like lightning and stuff like that coming out right. so there is actual cases in naval history that they admit happened but then it is very suspect well and that it- the USS Eldridge has like you know their um files are missing and their ship logs are missing right the cr- stuff and like that. so anyway that's like that's so that's it we could literally be here for three yeah. hours talking about this well because, so the, that's the crew of the eldridge also said that there was degaussing technology on the ship that they do remember that too but yeah that it did end up sort of splitting into three different branches they did it split into mk ultra split into time travel study and then split into um what was it like a cloaking technology basically like three the montauk montauk as we know it they say wouldn't have existed if it weren't for the philadelphia experiment Mm. because they were thinking about how it mentally affected people they were interested with how it basically like wiped their minds right exactly the whole the disappearing soldiers and stuff like that is a little bit well i feel that whenever they throw a bunch of nonsense onto a story like that, like when a character like Al Bielik comes along and says that he, he was part of it and he traveled through time three times in that one span, he ended up in like 2137 and 24, whatever the hell, and like and then went back into the 80s, then went back to the 40s. When I hear people say things like that, I feel like perhaps there is like a molecule of truth to the story and then mm. people like that come along to add so much nonsense to it that rational thinking people like myself would just completely dismiss the whole story without giving any yeah, kind of thought to the one Yeah, all you need to do is add an element par- of chaos right. or something crazy to it, you know. And, you know, I told you last week about that story with the crosswords. And sailors talk, like, you know, that's, everyone loves a good story. Like, right. that's what they'd be doing, telling stories. Like, my great-grandfather was a merchant seaman. And um, he had great stories. He was good at telling stories. Right. Because you learn to be a really good storyteller. Right. But when if, all you're doing is hanging around. But if, like... And so the way that I was... What I'm getting to, the point I'm getting to is that, you know, the crossword story. Mm-hmm. That there, before the, the D-Day landings, um, intelligence people noticed that there were secret code words being used in the local crossword. And so they thought that it was some kind of spy network that was trying to communicate that back home to Germany, wherever, that they knew exactly what, like, what these code words were to listen to them. And so the guy who wrote the crosswords, who was a principal of a school, got called in and interrogated and, cause, and was like, how do you know these words? What do these words mean? Because it was in 
so like it was in such frequency basically what ended up happening was there was a barracks across the road and the kids would hang on the fence and talk to the soldiers that were there and they would tell them um like just in conversation to these kids not thinking it would have any implications you you know code words that were going to be used for d-day and it just so happened that the principal also was running a competition because he was the one who wrote the crosswords for the kids to tell them to say give me answers give me interesting words to use for the crossword so that's how information travels like there is truth sometimes in these things especially if it you know um warrants an investigation so there must be some element of truth because even something as innocent as children suggesting unusual words to their principal to put in the crossword gets it investigated you know yeah yeah and these uh, more crazier claims warrant the investigation too absolutely but you know if you you know you think about early technology um if somebody came along and told you that um, like a nuclear power plant could exist before people knew what, what that was. And you, you told them about that and they didn't, you know, they'd be like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then you say, oh, and then Elvis was there and he made it and he traveled through time. It's like once you start adding those sort of elements to that story, it makes the whole story, you know, less believable. Like I said about the men in black the other day, like, you know, two people can come in and go, can we talk to you about this thing that you've seen? And you say, would you like a cup of tea? And they say, yes. And then you hand them the cup of tea and they look at it and then pour it into their briefcase. Right. Yeah. And the men in black were infamous for doing weird stuff like that. And that's because it throws you off. It makes you think that there's something otherworldly to them. Or, you know, you can't, um, you can't. How do you tell someone that yeah, without that, you sounding that's crazy? The other, that's the other element of it is that you can't tell anybody about it because they won't believe you. But they would do that apparently, you know, they would shave their eyebrows off and they'd shave their head bald and they'd sort of act autonomous like robots or androids or whatever. And then, you know, they'd go to restaurants and they'd, they'd order food and right in front of everybody, they'd sort of put a whole bite of, of a <laughs> steak in their mouth and then swallow it whole. Like, and, you know, they do weird stuff like that so that you don't really, like, you don't think that they're normal people, but that probably just were normal people that were acting like that to be so that because you don't want, you know, they would always show up after people would see something weird in the sky. And chances are that was either like some sort of Russian spy equipment or their own top secret equipment that was flying in the sky. And then if the Air Force shows up at your door and says, don't tell anybody what you see then you're going to go, oh, the Air Force has something that they, they don't want everybody to see. And, of course, that, that mm-hmm. rumor was spread. But if two people that co- show up in a car that's, like, 50 years old and they look like they're, like, robots from another planet and they act really weird, you're going to think, oh, my God. They're like, don't tell anybody what you saw. You're going to tell everybody these aliens showed up at my door and told me not to say anything about this alien mm-hmm. thing. So it's like that is a better rumor to spread than you know exact details about some sort of secret technology that the military wants to keep secret Mm. all right well it's the top of the hour again it's 11 Mm -hmm. p.m um yeah it was only a 40 minute intro this time 40 minute intro this time (laughs) so we'll take So we'll just take like a three to five minute break here 
to collect ourselves and then uh, we'll come right back with some time traveler time slip stories all right we are back so like i said before i'm i'm not totally sold on this time traveling thing um from from what i understand about time travel it shouldn't be physically possible um but some say it is in some form or another patrice uh patrice definitely finds this story or this uh subject fascinating she does bring it up quite a bit i'd say um and you know when i don't it, believe it i don't think i believe it though i'm playing that role today. well no I, I get it i get it but you do find it quite fascinating though and what i find kind of interesting is when when you sort of when you look at these like ideas of time slips things out of time like snapshots of time people out of time um it seems to like almost happen in a natural way like there's no technology involved and there's a lot of really interesting stories of you know people seeing things that as if it was like a snapshot out of time and then they go back later and it's just either gone or it's changed back to like a modern version of it and um a lot of these stories i mean it almost sounds like a lot of stories about ghosts stories about uh, aliens stories about even bigfoot and stuff these might not be like supernatural things from other places these might all be examples of time slips um you know manifesting in our in our reality in some way um mm. but you know perhaps there is something to it i don't know uh but there are some really interesting stories and uh so patrice patrice is going to try to sell some of these to us here today and I think you hit the nail on the head there because the underlying driving force behind everything that we do, not just this, but, you know, writing for Armored Skeptic, you know, everything else. For me, the most intriguing part of it is that what we're doing is we're presenting and describing human experiences or perceived human experiences. For me, the most tangible part of it, which... Um, is undeniable is that there was a real person that has described this as something that has happened to them and so I always keep that kind of at the at the center of what we're what we're doing is that we're presenting stories that are interesting and you know the three possibilities of it's either something that really happened to them and they're telling the truth it's something that happened to them in their mind's eye that they believe that it happened to them so it's like a certain chemical reaction in their brain made them believe that that actually did happen or they've completely fabricated the story. And that in itself is just a testament to how incredible the human mind is that they can create entire worlds and stories. Well, yeah, and so, that goes for almost every subject that we talk about, though, isn't it? That Yeah, so that's that's the, the motivator that I, it's an interest in humans. But what I find, you know, really interesting is Patrice is really good at finding believable stories. And I've kind of lost count of the number of times that I've almost been convinced. Um, you know, and even if even if we want to believe that every single person is telling the truth, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that what they're saying happened is what happened. That's just how they perceived it. But I just love looking for that one little 
snippet of information which might be missed a hundred other times that makes you just have that hmm moment where you mm-hmm. go, that's something that corroborates something else. Absolutely. You know, and if they are independent kind of reliable sources. But that's it. Like even even if it is just made up, it's still interesting to talk about. It's still interesting to participate in those thought experiments where you can sit down and just think, you know, is it possible? So I thought about starting um, basically with some well-known time slip time traveler oh story. yeah so it's gonna i'm focusing less like we might touch a little bit on like time travelers a bit later on mm-hmm. like john tedor and you know um and the like you know but what i wanted to kind of talk about is what normally is experienced kind of by more lay people and that's time slips so right that's accidental time travel right so it's when you're just going about your day and then next minute, things might feel you might feel a little bit weird, might notice something a bit strange, and then the next thing you know, you know you're kind of like, "Well, oh, these people, what is this? What's going on here? That that never noticed that house here before, you know." And you're just kind of like in an environment that seems different to how you know it, and it's not until you come out of that or you realize days later or you go past that same place again that things aren't the way that you thought that they were right like you either have a either have a strange person walk into your store and ask you for an item that people haven't sold Mm. in like 30 40 years or you know you go to a hotel and you know then you you go back the next day and the hotel's gone it was like it used to be there like in the 50s and it's not there anymore and like stories like that are are interesting I find that way more interesting than literal time traveler stories. Mm. Yeah, because it's like it is there is that element of someone's not postulating themselves as a time traveler. It's like this strange thing happened to me. Right. So I'm going to tell you first about the Moberly Jordan incident. Have you heard of that before? No. Okay, so basically in 1911, there were two ladies and they titled, oh, sorry, no, the, they published a book in 1911 about it. Okay. But it was in 1901. Oh, wow. Okay. That they had this experience. Um, they decided to visit the Palace of Versailles as part of several day trips around Paris because I think that... Um, Charlotte Moberly was visiting her friend that lived in um, France, that they'd worked together. They were both educators. So she ended up, I think, uh, Moberly, Charlotte Moberly, was the first principal of a hall of residence um, for young women, St. Hugh's College in Oxford. Okay. And then she was friends with Eleanor Jourdain and she asked her to be an assistant doing that. Um. Yeah, so that at some point they had gone to France together in 1901 and decided to travel by train to Versailles. And um, they didn't think too much about... They went through, did a tour of the Palace of Versailles and didn't think too much of it. And then they decided to walk the, gra- the gardens and the grounds um, and 
decided to walk through the um, uh, Petit Trianon, which is like kind of like a smaller kind of chalet, I guess. Okay. And uh, they found the Grand Trianon closed to the public. So they became lost when they were walking back and they entered a lane um, that had gone past their initial destination. Uh, she saw like a little kind of house with a woman like shaking a white cloth out the window and uh, noticed um, an old plough outside a deserted farm, a farmhouse. So they say at that point they felt this feeling of oppression and dreariness coming over them. Okay. Interesting. After which uh, men who they thought looked like palace gardeners told them to keep going straight. And she described them as like looking very like dignified officials dressed in long greenish grey coats and had like those three cornered hats on. Oh. So she thought that they were they thought that they were gardeners there. You know? Okay. <laughs> um then she said they were walking along, she noticed a cottage with a woman holding a jug to a girl in the doorway. Um, describing it as a tableau vivant, like a living picture, because they were thinking that um, that maybe the things looked unnatural, like everything looked unnatural and unpleasant. Like they said it almost had like an uncanny valley feeling, like it belonged in like a Madame Tussauds, like wax, like wax-like. Interesting. And she said that things started to feel less real, like the trees became, like, flat and, like, lifeless. Oh, weird. Yeah, and that the um, there was no real wind in the trees, like the light was not really how it was meant to be, like there was no shade. So they were <laughs> noticing these kind of bizarre things, like okay. everything just seemed a little bit, like, weird. Um, then they reached the edge of the wood and they saw a man um, seated beside a garden kiosk wearing a cloak and a large shady hat. And his, they said his appearance was repulsive and had like an odious expression and his complexion was very dark and rough. And the man turned his face and she said that there was like smallpox um, on his face. Oh, okay. And that he seemed like really evil looking. Okay. <laughs> Which is like wow. bizarre. And then she said that another man that they described um, as tall with dark eyes and Chris curling black hair under a large sombrero hat came up to them and showed them the way back to the um, petite Rhiannon. Uh, Trianon. <laughs> Rhiannon. <laughs> um, uh, Mobley said that she noticed a lady sketching on the grass who looked at them after they crossed a bridge to reach the garden in the front palace. She later described the lady as wearing a light summer dress and a shady white hat with much fair hair. Uh, Mobley reported that she thought she was a tourist at first, but that the dress appeared to be old-fashioned. And she came to believe that the lady was, in fact, Marie Antoinette herself. What? <laughs> That's quite a jump to conclusion, if I do say so myself. At, at, yeah, at the return to the palace... They reported that they were directed around to the entrance and joined a party of the other visitors. Interesting. That's so. 
that's really bizarre. So not only did they sort of experience, you know, a slip in time, it was almost like a museum piece, almost like mm-hmm. a like a holographic or wax museum projection of the past. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, like, uh, like you said, some of them almost appeared like wax figures or like like uh, something from a museum. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, um, and also the trees being flat. Yeah, almost like, like they were weird. Almost like they were projected in the background. It it more it sounds more like they stepped into a hologram, or like something holographically was projected around them. And do you know, it's I have heard stories of that like nature before, where people have kind of had this moment where they've been looking at something, and they just had this inexplicable feeling that what they they were looking at wasn't actually real. Mm. Like looking at a vista and having a distinct feeling that it was, there was something not real about it, which is like, how unusual is that to be, you know, looking at something and going, I don't think this, what this view that I'm seeing is real. Especially in 1901 when there's no understanding of like time travel, there's no understanding of holograms or holographics. Um, There's no understanding of like virtual reality or anything like that. And to be able to sort of, you know, vividly sort of describe something as if it was artificially projected around Mm -hmm. them. That's uh, either, again, like you said before, it's like they either have an extremely vivid imagination or Mm -hmm. something outside of their experience happened to them. And um, there is like sort of like how you have deja vu. Mm -hmm. Um, Deja vu is an example of time travel. I think that, you know, it's worth talking about that I used to, I, I experienced deja vu all the time. I used to experience it literally daily, but I experience it all the time still. And it feels to me like, some part of me, whether it be my conscience, my conscious, my consciousness or my soul or what my spirit or whatever you want to call it, has slipped from like an older version of me to a, a, a younger version of me or vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. But in that same way, though, they'd say that that is like a byproduct of the function of our brain. And it's like a, perhaps it's a way that we can discern real memories from false ones or new memories from old ones. And it's like a self-defense mechanism our brain uses. Uh, however, in there's also an inverse of that where you can be looking at something or, you know, uh, hearing something and be pretty sure that it's not real. And that also could be a side effect of our brain. But that being yeah. said, that doesn't explain how these women were seeing both seeing the same thing having a having a witness with you to corroborate uh to corroborate your story that's that's interesting but um but then the details of like the people being in period clothing like that is bizarre that's not that sounds like it's beyond something that was happening inside their own minds and that they probably like it sounds like they were seeing something that they shouldn't have been seeing yeah, I find it amazing that they have so many interactions with people. Right. Like different characters. And they say that they never spoke about it um, until a week later. So neither of them really mentioned it to each other because it was kind of just um, basically all they said was um, 
like that they were just making their way back because the place that they wanted to go was shut so they were just making their way back so it wasn't like at the time they're like whoa we're in this crazy world do you know what I mean like it wasn't like that it was like they just were making their way back to the uh, Versailles Palace and it wasn't until a week later that they were kind of just like was that a little bit weird to you so one and then thing- they decided to write individual accounts of what happened and then compare them. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So but it- once again, the time that this is all done. Right. That's the most interesting part. So 1901. Yeah. Um, there's not. It like- just makes my like skeptical senses go off. Yeah. Because um, we're in the height of the spiritualist movement, all of that kind of crazy stuff exactly. was like exactly hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. This and this was, um, yeah. Well, yeah. It was like the end of the Victorian era, going into, uh, well, the end of the industrial era, going into, yeah, absolutely. Spiritualism was rampant during this time. Um, the details of the trees being like flat, though. I, I don't know how they could imagine such a thing. The like the other elements, I can I can see how they'd imagine, but. So this is this is one problem I have with a lot of time traveler stories is like 99% of them people say that they're witnessing something from the past and almost nobody says that they are witnessing something from the future. Well, I've got a couple of those. Good. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> That's almost perfect. Should yeah. we go to that one? Yes. Let's let's do a future. <laughs> Please. A future one. Let's have a look. All right. So you probably have heard of this one. This is another uh, quite famous one. It happened in 1935. Does it have a name? Hang on. So 1935, before World War II, mm-hmm. was officially started, which is funny because the right. first one happened right before World War One, and Versailles is like a famous location. That's that's what really caught my attention, is that Versailles mm-hmm. is like the Treaty of Versailles. You know that all was that was World War One, right? So. That, I guess that can go into the argument too that people often make that there's um, that there are places in the universe and space time that are kind of like electrical energy hubs where a lot of really important events seem to happen. Uh, maybe even places where uh, really uh, important buildings like the pyramids or whatever are um, ancient structures. And it's like certain locations on the earth, um, like where these very important events happen, also seem to be hotspots for supernatural events as well. Mm. So this was happened in 1935, and it was Air Marshal Sir Robert Victor Goddard. Oh. So he was... Um, do, 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 one second. He was a wing commander and was sent to inspect a disused airfield near Edinburgh. Er, Do you say Edinburgh? It's Edinburgh in Scotland, isn't it? Edinburgh. 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 Yeah. Yeah. 
at a place called Drem. He found it very dilapidated state with cattle grazing on the grass that had uh, forced through cracks on the tarmac. Okay. He's in a biplane. He's, um, you know, been directed to go and inspect a disused, just do a flyby, just check on the airfield in 1935. <clears throat> Later that day, he ran into trouble while flying his biplane in heavy rain and decided to fly back to Drem to get his bearings. As he approached the airfield, the torrential rain abruptly changed into a bright sunlight. So he's basically flying along and then the rain changes and it's all sunny. When he looked down, he saw that the airfield had com been completely renovated and was now in use. So he was only there earlier that day. He saw that it was completely dilapidated with clouds all over the runway. And when he got there again to get his bearings back because of the, the weather, he saw that it was in use and that there were mechanics and blue overalls walking around and there were four yellow planes parked on the runway. Okay. So, and he couldn't, he wasn't able to tell what kind of model plane they were. Right. So the idea was that, well, okay. So like yellow planes, um, they're often used as like training craft for the military for the air force um the united states canada and the whole commonwealth i think used even the same model and they all painted them yellow i think there's mm -hmm. even one on display here at the airport at kingston well see that's the thing because drim was eventually resurfaced in 1939 and became an air defense fighter unit for Edinburgh during the Second World War. Mm. So when he saw them in 1935, the training planes were silver, but they were painted yellow, like shortly after. And at the same time, the Air Force changed mechanic overalls from tan to blue. <laughs> so that is a look into the future, but only by, you know, a few years then, about a decade. Yeah. Okay, that's... Well, not even... Not, Not even, even, like literally yeah. like five years into the future. That's really interesting. So I have heard that story before. And mm. I find that one, that's one of the ones that I have trouble dismissing because of the source of the information. Um, mm. You know, it was somebody so, yeah, who was, was literally was, knighted. And, and it, I think it came out in a, a book by J.H. Brennan called Time Travel, A New Perspective. So once again, you know, like it is kind of, is has there been an artistic license taken in um, this story? Yeah, so is, is the iteration of the story that you read probably has been influenced by the book? More than likely. But I have heard that bef in, in other places before. You know, I think even in those, you know, old Reader's Digest books that you get from the 70s have similar kind of stories in them. But who knows, is it an urban legend? Yeah, I mean, it, it reads like an urban legend. And uh, it might have even have been authored by somebody who worked at that airfield. If Like, it was yeah. an existing airfield that became defunct, and then they uh, reopened it, refurbished it, got it, uh, you know, up and ready for the Second World War. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a pretty perfect story for that because bef it, it was right before the war and mm -hmm. there would have been no activity there. And then, yeah, to get a glimpse into the future, it, like it's almost, it almost reads like um, an anecdote that somebody that worked at that airfield who, you know, knew what it looked like before it got refurbished would have, would have you know, sort of authored. Like a, yeah. like a fun little campfire story that they would tell 
while uh, between training missions or something. Because, like, you know, how could you verify that kind of story? Right. Well, and that's the problem with a lot of these sorts of stories is we are depending on testimony as the only piece of evidence. Mm. Um, I, I'd say that the last story was a little bit more believable because we're talking about two different people who claim to have witnessed the same thing, especially with that detail of them not talking about it and then comparing notes later. Mm. Like, that's really compelling. But one, but they were living in that life where there was, like, that, that spiritualist movement. You know, they probably were reading in the newspaper, I guess. But, you know, maybe not because I think it was you could get into a lot of trouble because spiritualists were going to jail and stuff for lying about things, weren't they? Back then there was a big kind of push against them. It depends on what they were lying about. I don't think you'd go to jail for a lie like that. About only if you're taking money off people. Yeah, it's only if you're using that, yeah, to make a buck. That's where you get into trouble. I wonder if in that time, though, if you wrote a book claiming it was true and it was a lie, if you would get in trouble for it. Hmm. Yeah, that's the million-dollar question. Um... I mean, because like now I feel like we're a little bit more like lax on that, but back then they were kind of like hot on it. Right. It was such a prevalent thing at the time. It was, mm. yeah, and I guess like a lot of people were getting victimized, especially with the whole um, seance thing. Like that's why Houdini was so, prev- uh, you know, adamant about going to these seances and sort of debunking them showing them off for the magic tricks that they were is because they were, you know, a lot of people were really desperate to sort of get an eye, you know, like it was the fact that, you know, people were dying so frequently of just such so many things. And quite often they didn't even really understand what they were dying of. And the diseases, oh my God, the diseases people were (laughs) contracting back then because of the kinds of chemicals and um, like they're, they're horrifying. The kinds of things that people would die of is, just horrifying you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy um so you know people were really desperate to know that their loved ones were safe and sound on the other side and that they themselves if something were to ever happen to them they'd be fine on the other side too and you know a lot of these um spiritualists were capitalizing on that and victimizing you know these people in that way so but with a story like this i feel like it sort of skirts just outside of the realm of personal like there's how there's not going to be a ton of people thirsty to know that um that's that story has any grip in reality compared to like a story about their grandmother still being around um mm-hmm. with okay so with the second story though with the the one we're seeing the airport from the future um again yeah we're dealing with a single testimony and we don't know for sure if that testimony is even genuine. But giving that testimony, uh, somebody that was knighted, you know, as the, as the source, that makes it feel and seem really credible. Because, you know, one of the kings, uh, or kings or queen's own men um, are not known for lying. The king wouldn't knight somebody that is a liar. That's sort of the, uh, that's sort of the feeling that you get from hearing a testimony like that but i mean even if he did tell that story even if it was genuinely him that told it that doesn't 
that doesn't even necessarily you know, I'm mean sure that there real. are incredible fighter pilots that would li- would make up a lie just to tell the boys at the pub. Right. Yeah. I mean, people in the military are pretty infamous for telling stories. I mean, they love their stories. Anything to freak, mm. freak somebody out. Uh, what was I going to say then? Yeah, and also, like, you know, what you said about no one goes to the future. Maybe the stories just aren't that popular because the, until the future happens. Yeah. Well, I guess you know, if, if you're only going, like, five or ten years into the future, um, it's sort of hard to tell you've gone into the future because stuff doesn't change that much. It's not, not like... Yeah, if, if if we today were to see somebody from the Victorian era show up, that would be a pretty stark contrast. But if somebody from, like, 2001 showed up, they would probably slip right under the radar. Do you reckon? Well, yeah. It might be a bit cringy, though. They might Everyone would be like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit awkward. Yeah, I mean, there would, be, there would be a level of awkwardness. But even then... Um, even then, it's, it is contemporary enough that, you know, yeah, they probably set off some red flags, but you wouldn't immediately say, this guy is from out of time. This guy doesn't belong here. Just doesn't know how to dress himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I don't know. I... The fr- I would say the first story was a little bit more believable than the f- than the second, mm. but I do remember hearing the second one, and I don't know. Maybe there is something to it. Maybe there is something to that. You know, talking about people coming from two thousand and one, that is around the time that John Tidor became like you know quite popular on all the internet forums, claiming to be. A time traveler. Right. John Tidor is one of the original internet time travelers. So yeah. that gets into sort of the naivety of early internet. I guess 2001 is still technically early internet because most people still didn't have access to it at this point. And, um, you know, chat rooms and forums and stuff were becoming really popular. Um, And, you know, like the, there wasn't a lot of skeptical resources. There wasn't a lot of like open skepticism on the internet at that time. So it was pretty easy to convince people of like really bizarre stories during that time. But uh, that being said, the John Tidor story is really interesting. Yeah, so he kind of what came around he was posting on the art bell forums mm-hmm. um, that's how i know him from is from coast to coast yeah and he claimed to be a american soldier from 2036 based in tampa florida and was assigned to a government time travel project and was sent back to 1975 to retrieve an ibm right computer which um, was needed to debug various legacy computer programs in 2036. Well, And I think that that's the reason why people thought that he was the real deal because of the knowledge he had of that particular computer. Well, what it, and that's what it is. is so he did have this uh, very intense knowledge of that particular type of computer. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the legacy computer thing is really interesting. So the idea was that um, old IBM computers basically had their own internal uh, networking hardware and software. Um, so yeah, old IBM computers basically had their own sep uh, unique version of network hardware and software. And um, this is actually, but this is a thing that people even, you know, have known forever is that um, it is almost like you can set up a, I don't want to say dark web, but like a, a second internet in the internet that you can only access if you have these IBMs. Um, like if you, if you have one of these, these IBMs, you can join, uh, specific networks that are set up only for that computer and, um, certain early internet information, you know, might still be out there. That's entirely inaccessible until, you know, um, but I, so what I find sort of unbelievable about that is that it would take until the 2030s for them to figure that out because people would know that now. And the fact, too, that he's told everybody that, um, like, we still have those kinds of computers floating around today. So people would have figured this out already by now, especially with Tidor telling everybody. Well, I think that the reason why it takes until the 2030s is because they call it the year um, 2038 pro uh, problem, which is uh, representing time and digital systems. Okay, so that there's like... encode times after Janu uh, the 19th of January 2038. It's similar to the Y2K problem. Okay, why that particular so, date? Um, I'm not sure, it just says here... Um, relates to representing the year. I'll read it from Wikipedia. The year 2038 pro, pro problem relates to representing time in many digital systems as the number of seconds passed since like zero o'clock January 1970 and storing it as signed 32 bit integers. So it's like a, so that's the kind of reason why he claims to be from there and needed that computer so that he could go back in time to fix that particular problem. Did he explain why he was in 2001 though? He said that he was there for personal reasons because oh. he lost pictures. There were pictures lost because of the civil war and to visit his family because he was sent back. So that's why he went to 1975 and then on his way back, he stopped off into the year 2000 for personal reasons. So Tidor also made some predictions and yeah. a handful of them turned out to be true, but I think a lot of them simply did not. But you could argue that well, by... Well, maybe, like, like you said, the things that he spoke about, maybe he was like 10 years off or so because yeah. he talks about the possibility of civil war between in the, within the United States. Right. Um, Kreutz felt Jacob disease going through beef products. Mm. You know, like that's kind of, that's know. pretty intense. So whoever this guy was was probably a genius. Even if he wasn't a time traveler, he was very smart. Um, well, there is they there's 
A 2009 investigation concluded that he was likely the creation of a man called uh, Larry Haber, who was an entertainment lawyer, with his brother, who just happened to be a computer scientist. Ah, uh, yeah. So that that is a beautiful little connection there. Yeah. Um, but once again, I don't know. I haven't really looked into that. I don't know much about that, whether that is just, like, if there is any, like, weight to that. I think we talked a little bit about um, this once before, but... Um, yeah, there's an idea though of like people ask how this time traveling thing would even work if if you could travel through time, and people say that just by the virtue of traveling through time, you're also changing it. So mm. if he comes back, and especially if he's telling everybody all this, just by like sharing this information, telling everybody that could alter the course of those events. So. Maybe some of the things he said are going to happen didn't happen because he gave a warning that it would and it made people more aware of that possibility mm. um, or just, you know, the butterfly effect in general. Um, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what the fav- my favorite part of this whole story is, though? What's that? That he claimed that the time machine, <laughs> like the actual machine, was installed in the rear of a 1966, like, Corvette. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Of all the cars, too, a Corvette. Mm. That's so funny. But what's, what I find interesting, too, about it, like referring to the Philadelphia project, is that two magnetic housing units for dual micro-singularities is kind of like the, how it worked. Okay. So, yeah, just like the USS Eldridge. Um, yeah. Uh, electron injection manifold to alter mass and gravity of the micro-singularities. Interesting. Gravity sensors and gravity locks and stuff like that. So it's almost like being able to, you know, move in all those dimensions, including time. So using time as a dimension to move amongst. But there is other like kind of things there. That's interesting. So the the other the other thing is that um, also by traveling through time, a lot of people say by the virtue of just traveling through time, you are also just going to an alternate reality. You've either created it or you've slipped into a different timeline and that there's no way around that. That, um, But, you know, if, if that is happening in our timeline, if somebody is leaving our timeline to go into the past, then that means at the same time somebody from another timeline is leaving their timeline and coming to our past. And those mm. two people will be essentially identical because there are so many 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 realities that the differences between them are so subtle um you could go to a you could find a reality that is wildly different from ours but it would also just be subtly different from another alternate reality to ours and what they say is people like tidor um he might have even been tidor that said this um but i remember him reading about this story and he said that what he, what he would do is when he'd travel back in time is he'd slip into the, basically the next timeline over from his. But at the same mm-hmm. time, another guy from another timeline would be slipping into his. And then when he okay. goes back to, the, to his time, to the future, you know, to see his wife and kids and be with his family again and go back to work, that that is once again he slipped into yet another alternate reality from his reality. Yeah, and that well, somebody he did talk about multi-world, multi-world interpretations. So then, yeah, so then somebody else has then slipped into his reality, and then now some other version of him 
is with his wife and with his kids and he is with some other version of his wife and kids but you know the the differences are so subtle and you definitely never want to mm-hmm. tell them that because then they get like doppelganger uh syndrome or whatever mm-hmm. but um <laughs> like that um that rick and morty episode where they drop in and they have to like bury the bodies of themselves oh, and then yeah. they assume their reality <laughs> yeah and that's that's essentially what <laughs> that's it is when though. the <laughs> that is essentially what it is, is that um, there was, a, I think you were even telling me about a Doctor Who episode that was similar to that. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, the the reality you go into is going to be pretty damn close to the one that you're from. You might not even notice the difference. But Just you, before. You'll know. You'll be the only one that knows as long as you don't tell anybody. You'll be the mm-hmm. only one that knows that it's not actually your wife and kids. It is another version of them. Just before I forget, can I tell you a story? One of my favorite traveler stories from art, listening to Art Bell's Time Traveler. Oh, yeah. So I I can't find it. Like I went through a stage when I had, I think I had the flu. And so I had to be just in bed for like two weeks straight. And so I listened to Art Bell radio shows like Flat Chat. Like I reckon I was listening to like eight hours a day, like just in bed because having fever dreams, listening to Art Bell, like that was kind of my existence for two weeks. And there was one episode that he did um, and had the time travel line and asked people to um, call in. And he claimed to be from the year 2030, I think as well. And um, what was really interesting was it was in 1995. Well, maybe, no, it was a bit later. I think it was like, um, 2000 or so. Anyway, this guy rang up and said that um, the end of the world, that President Clinton would be the last president. <laughs> right? Okay. Said that President Clinton was going to be the last president, that there was going to be like this World War III starts after that, all this kind of stuff, um, blah, blah, blah. And then... Um, Essentially, what happened, Art Bell was just like, well, President Clinton, he can't, like, the world hasn't ended yet, and he's not the president anymore, you know, so, you know, he kind of just called his bluff on it, mm-hmm. right? And then the guy's like, no, not, like, what? You know, he was kind of just, the guy who had rang up was kind of acting incredulous. Mm-hmm. So when Hillary Clinton <laughs> ran for president, I was like, oh, my God, imagine if that guy was not talking about Bill Clinton because he said President Clinton. So when Hillary Clinton did not win the election, obviously then that like that was out the window. But I just found that so intriguing. Like, you know, almost 15 years into the future or however long that I'd li- listened to it, listening to that and then seeing Hillary Clinton actually running for president. Yeah, that's so terrifying. And thinking, was that person actually a time traveler? Yeah, what's really terrifying about that is that during the her campaign, uh, Hillary was, you know, um, um, speaking quite aggressively about her how she was going to handle relations with Russia mm. and the Middle East, and yeah. she, she was saying things that made it sound like she was fully willing to start World War Three. So if you are listening now and you know that episode that I'm talking about or you remember it or you have a link to it, um, please let me know because I would love to hear that again. But I'm, I'm talking, I basically listened to his entire back catalogue and I can't do that again because I can't dedicate two weeks of my life <laughs> to listening to all of those radio shows again. 
but I would love to hear that particular segment again if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and I believe you. <laughs> I believe you yeah. that that's something that really happened. But I just found that really, really kind of cool. And I actually feel like maybe that should be something that we do as a community is we go back and try and listen to those old time traveler episodes from the 90s and just kind of fact check them, see if there is anything in there that is a little bit true. We, yeah, we that should. That doesn't have a huge, that doesn't have a big internet following that isn't famous on any of those. Well, I'd like to go. Forums. I would like to go through all those episodes again. And I'd even like to go over John Tidor again, because, you know, it's yeah. been a de about a decade since the last time I actually looked in yeah. to some of the stuff he said. And it's possible more of his predictions have come true. I don't know. Well, I've got, I've got a list of his predictions oh, here. Oh, please. Yeah. So he, he, the most immediate of them was an upcoming civil war with the United States having to do with order and rights. And he said that it was going to start in 2004 um, with civil unrest surrounding the presidential election of that year. Hmm. Interesting. The civil conflict that he characterized as having a Waco type event every month that steadily gets worse and would be pretty much at everyone's doorstep and erupt by the year 2008. <laughs> well, 2008 was a bad year with the whole uh, market crash and everything. Uh, as a result of the war, the United States was split, in two, split into five regions based on various and differing military objectives. This civil war, according to Tito, would end in 2015 with a brief but intense World War III. <laughs> brief but in Well, I almost feel like if World War III were to come, it would be brief and intense. Mm. He referred to the exchanges in Washington, D.C. and Jacksonville, Wait, sorry, start, Florida. Start that sentence again. You, uh... Tidor refers to the exchange as N-Day. Washington, D.C. and Jacksonville, Florida are specifically mentioned as being hit. After the war, Omaha, Nebraska would be the new U.S. capital. Oh. But he was vague about the um, motivations and causes for World War Three. Right. And he said that he characterized the hostilities as being led by border clashes and overpopulation. Interesting. So those are the predictions that have not come true. Those are the well, those were the big ones. I do remember him yeah, saying there would of be that a time, but he said that it was like he didn't say because, like you said, the multi world using um, the multi world interpretation of quantum mechanics. He's saying that it could be very similar, not very different, similar but different. You know, and it was other people that then used those as predictions. So he never said this was happening. He just spoke about what happened in his timeline. Right. Well, that's, I would call that a cop-out, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible. It's possible, yes. Mm -hmm. um, he says that he caused a new time stream to form because of his time travel. Yeah, well, that again, that is what I was saying earlier, is that just by the very virtue of time traveling, you are changing the timeline. Yeah. And so a lot of people also think that by him coming to the year 2000, telling people what happened in that timeline, maybe that then changed our path. Well, that's yeah. that And I was saying because that too, became... is, is that even it's one thing to time travel and then the butterfly effect, you know, going into place. Mm. But then he literally warned people about what yeah. happens in his future. And by doing that, it helps everyone 
sort of learn. Like, I guarantee you that, you know, government organizations like the CIA and stuff like that, they listen, they listen to Art Bell. And I think that there's a, a strong possibility that they take some things like that seriously just in case. And, you know, things would have been, certain safeguards would have been in place. And imagine, you know, imagine, because like Hillary Clinton lost to the least popular president of all time. Um, and that's really embarrassing. That is like the most embarrassing thing ever. And I, I, I she should have won if, if they had gone just on popular vote. She would have won. But imagine that the reason that they didn't let her win is because they were worried about that timeline playing out, the World War Three timeline. Especially, and well, that's the thing. That's not a popular one. I only ever heard that once, that one prediction from that one random kid that rang up and said, I'm a time traveler from 2030. Right. But you know what? And though? he sounded crazy. And Art Bell spoke to him like he was crazy going, well, that's not possible because he can't, Bill Clinton can't run for another term. So that can't possibly be happened because he said it was starting like in the 2020s. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And they were like, that can't possibly happen. He can't run for another term and basically cut him off hung up on him that being said though um clinton not winning doesn't change the possibility that there could be a giant global conflict i mean now that we're living in uh the times of sickness and imagine uh, if that's what it was like technically if it was based on the popular vote she should have won well yeah Imagine in a different timeline, that's what happened and she was president. Clinton. Well, exactly. It, like, she, she should have won if the Electoral College didn't exist. So in another timeline, it's possible that they just gave her the presidency. Um, like a million votes is a million votes, and she won by about mm -hmm. a million. Um, yeah. I mean, time travelers, though, are a very popular thing. I even remember on YouTube... Um, coming across a handful of supposed time travelers. And most of them are obviously just kids joking around, having fun. But there were quite a few of these videos that actually got traction. Um, mm. But what I always pay the most attention to is the predictions. And John Tidor's... John Tidor, of all the time travelers, I feel is the most credible one. That he, mm. he is the one that was able to give the most accurate depiction of what happened in the future. But you could turn around and say, is that just um, like a, the love child, essentially, of two really intelligent people just being able to, you know, um, sit down and conduct a thought experiment where they can imagine what the future is going to be like and then just, you know, hedge their bets and then say that, I'm a time traveler. This is what it looks like. Well, even with that other one you were listening to, um, talking about Clinton, it's like it was no secret that Hillary Clinton wanted to run for president eventually. Like it was she, the Clinton family is very p powerful family, family in general. So it was, there was a good chance that she was going to try to run anyways. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, if you get a couple of smart people together, like it may, they may have even had friends involved. It's like you, you put together like a, an idea of what the future is going to play out. Like it's possible with, that they just made really good predictions. Because that was kind of like the, the heyday of internet forums. But, you know, like I know they existed before that, but I'm pretty sure that the early 2000s was when they really rose to a popularity that they hadn't seen before. 
What I find, you know, kind of obvious, though, and I was saving this argument to the very end of the, <laughs> of the T-Door discussion, but why did none of these people mention our current <laughs> issue <And> I... <laughs> that's happening? The word that you can't use on YouTube without getting demonetized. The current... Unless you're Linda Mountain Howe. Yeah, unless you're Linda Mountain Howe. But this current disease that we're all suffering from, like, it is such a big deal that it's happening. And, like, we can't, mm. we can't leave our countries. And even some of us can't yeah. even leave our state or province. And it's like, and some people even more can't even leave their city. And it's like, if that was happening, if that happened in the 20s, the 2020s, you'd think that you would be howling that like oh yeah watch out for the 2020s make sure that by this date you're exactly where you want to be otherwise you're not going to be able to travel again like mm. that would have been really good information for me to know <laughs> <laughs> you're like nobody said that <laughs> yeah no, none of these time travelers mentioned that there's this two year long period basically where we're all cooped up in home and we're all just waiting for this miracle uh to come along and this miracle cure to come along so that we can all go back to our daily lives and go back to traveling and uh again yeah. and go back to our jobs again did we have some super chats did i see some oh super yeah chats so i'm gonna to read answer? i'm gonna oh, by the way happy valentine's day oh yes it's valentine's day now <laughs> it's 1203 a.m happy valentine's yeah. day <laughs> lovely um yeah so we got a couple super chats here we can read um Let's see. Iron Wolf Spear. Oh, he was very generous in our last stream. He says, hey, sup, dude, I'm late. What have I missed so far? Uh, we talked about the Philadelphia Experiment, and we've been talking about basically time travel and time slips since then. Zane Brunt says, uh, how much could an average person really affect the future or the past, though? Well, that's sort of the whole um, premise of the butterfly effect. So... Uh, if you've never heard of it before, I'm sure you all have. You're all extremely smart people. Is that the 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 metaphor is that a butterfly flapping its wings in Africa one time can create a tiny little gust of wind that eventually builds up to a hurricane that hits the coast of North America. And so what that the idea of that is that the effect of one little creature can completely devastate the state of existence for people somewhere very far off but what what that means in time travel is that um like this even happened in the simpsons uh homer's in a, an episode of tree horse house of tree house of horror <laughs> homer kept going back in time and he's just like don't touch anything don't touch anything and one point he accidentally stepped on a mosquito and then when he went back to his time like it had completely changed and it's because any tiny little change you make like say say you see, uh, find a quarter on the ground and you pick it up it's like that seems like nothing right <laughs> but but if that quarter was supposed to be picked up by some kid and then he was to use it on a phone call that got him like a job and then you know eventually he became the president of the united states because he got that job like that's you've then stopped that person from becoming president because you took away a quarter that he was going to use for a phone call. Like little tiny things can completely irreparably change the future. Why are we laughing, Patrice? I'm laughing because I, I was trying not to interrupt you, but I was just thinking, imagine if you said, 
instead of saying treehouse of horror you said whorehouse of oh, terror. i almost said <laughs> i almost said tree whores <laughs> i almost said tree whores yes okay um uh so thank you for the super chats uh guys uh next max taylor uh your recent videos on spiritualism came at a time of my own reads on gnosticism would love to hear your thoughts on the beliefs uh personally i feel like it makes the bible more concise and patches holes so uh this is something patrice and i have talked about quite a few times and we actually yeah we touched on it in our last episode i know we talked we definitely talked way too much about religion last time so I'll keep it. We've spoken way too much about politics this time. Yeah, exactly. So I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it brief. But um, yeah, the Gnostic view on the Bible, for example, um, is very intriguing, and it does make things make a lot more sense. If you look at the character that they call the serpent, and sometimes refer to as Satan, as somebody who actually is uh, looking out for humanity, and then the character that they call God the creator is actually kind of the villain and that that's the main premise of gnosticism and then you basically re-engineer every single story based on that premise then it actually makes the bible almost make way more sense but that doesn't necessarily mean that one view is superior to the other in any way but um yeah i've spent a good deal of time looking into the gnostic belief system and uh, i know patrice has too and uh yeah it's certainly very fascinating um and jacksimus prime rib oh you give almost every time thanks thanks bud for the super chat uh john teeter was the inspiration for steins gate and i had to look up what steins gate was it's an anime and i'm not exactly an anime uh connoisseur but it looks interesting enough um, but that's actually kind of interesting that John Tidor ended up inspiring an entire, like, uh, television show. Or is it a video game? Or both? There is Sorry, a video what? game. What's it called again? Steins Gate. S-T-E-I-N-S. Steins. It sounds like a animated series. Let's look. Okay, that was cool, actually. Yeah, very... Yeah. Wow, it's highly rated, too. And then, oh, we got one more. Uh, I'm never anonymous. Uh, no message. Uh, thank, thanks for the, the super chat, bud. Really appreciate it. Uh, I hope that you didn't just forget to write a message. Um, so do we have any more uh, time traveler stories before we go to our next break? Yeah, I think we go to our break. I think that that's kind of basically it. The only other one which I brought up was the Turid Man. Oh, okay. Go over the Turid Man really briefly. Um, okay, only quickly. Yeah. So, um, in July 1954, a smartly dressed man arrives at the Haneda Airport in Tokyo. Much like other passengers, he makes his way to customs. But whatever happened from this point onwards have left all puzzled, uh, all of them very puzzled and concerned. When questioned by the customs officer, the mysterious passenger said he was from Turid, also referred to as the Turid mystery. The mystery man claimed that it was his third time he was visiting Japan from his country, but to the surprise of officers, they couldn't find any country named Turid. The primary language of the man described as Caucasian looking with a beard was French. 
However, um, he was purportedly speaking Japanese as well as other languages as well. Officers were perplexed because they'd never heard of such a country. The passport of the man was issued by, of course, the Turid. The passport looked authentic, but um, the place was not recognised. So, and then, of course, uh, they put him in a hotel um, mm. under surveillance and, you know, you, they held him in the hotel, to, you know, until they could verify his story. And then when they went to find him, he was gone and he no longer yeah, so existed. But the, he, what's they, interesting thing... They asked thing, him to show them on a map where it was. Right. And he, he like pointed to this location between the border of France and Spain. Right. And, and I, I knew was it was between those two upset. countries. I remember we were talking about this last week and I said that mm. I knew that it was supposed to be between two European countries like Spain and France. So, mm. and that, yeah, so he had a French accent and there, there, was, uh, there was a time in the past, like before World War I, that there used to be these little city-states in Europe like that. Um, so it's not like these sorts of city-states didn't exist at some time. So it is possible mm. that there is like another timeline that exists. Like that almost sounds like an alternate dimension thing as opposed to like a time-traveling thing. Because mm -hmm. is, was there ever a time that Torrid existed? Well, I don't think so. He right. says that it, like, it had been around for about a thousand years. Uh, yeah. I think what made them even more kind of interested in what was happening with him is that he told them the company that he was working for because he was there on a business trip and it did exist right. in Tokyo. Right. So the business he said he worked for existed. He also mentioned a hotel that he was meant to be staying at. And the employees said that, that it existed, but that there was no booking. So that's the reason why they put, they confiscated his documents and um, personal belongings and put him in a hotel to conduct their investigation. Right. But then when they went to go find him, he was gone. He had disappeared. But his documents yeah. remained. So, and there's pictures. No, they disappeared too. All but his, docu all but his personal documents had also disappeared. All but his documents. No. Yeah, hang on. Wait, so his documents. Everyone's surprised the man finished not only that, but all his personal documents had also disappeared. Oh, really? Yeah. Including so the passport? Them. Yeah, so they confiscated those. Because I thought that there were the photos of the passport online. Well, that might be a hoax, but it says here that they two guards are at the door and he it only had one entry point, one exit point. And, um, yeah, the next morning he was gone. So that, yeah. I mean, that, that whole thing almost just sounds like that guy was trying to get in the country illegally. I don't know why he wouldn't. Like, that's a really, that's a really sketchy cover, though, because you'd have to know that there was no way you're going to get let in if you have a passport yeah. from a country that didn't exist. You'd want to use an existing country, especially if you have a and French accent. And in 1954, accent. like, it would have been a lot easier to get a fake passport. Right. So if you have a French accent, you'd almost certainly want to have a French, Spanish, or German passport to, to you know, justify having a French accent. Um, but if that is, like, hypothetically... If that's real, that really happened the way that the story goes. It, again, it sounds more like an interdimensional thing than a time slip thing, but I guess that still counts because it's a, mm. it's because just like I said, when you travel through time, you're actually by virtue of traveling through time, you're going to another timeline and or creating a new one. So that is also another version of like changing dimensions. You've gone to another reality. 
Um, mm-hmm. But that story always reminds me of this one. Um, so I have one. I mentioned this one last week as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a time traveler skips town. Uh, this was um, this was a story that was in a new, uh, an American newspaper, New York newspaper. So New York self-proclaimed time traveler Andrew Carlson. Carlson is spent spent uh spelt uh, c-a-r-l-s-s-i-n which is a really weird way to spell carlson the enigmatic wall street whiz was jailed uh in cider trading charges has vanished without a uh insider well that's wow it's just really spelled weird. Oh, insider trading charges so this was a man that uh he was charged with insider trading and his excuse was not that he was given insider information, but that he was from the future, says he was from the year 2256. And that the reason he knew the way that the stocks were gonna work out is obviously that he had this almanac of how stocks worked out, sort of like Back to the Future 2, when Biff comes back in time with the almanac of sports uh, um, mm-hmm. results or whatever. So. Uh, they, he wasn't, even though it says he was jailed and then he, he disappeared. Uh, what really happened was that he ended up making bail, obviously, because he was, he had some money. So the mystery man who claimed to be a visitor from the year 2256 jumped bail before a scheduled court hearing on April 3rd and hasn't been seen since, officials say, despite an intense manhunt by federal lawmen. Quote, it's like... He disappeared off the face of the earth, declares law enforcement source. Quote, no one can find him. Some people are speculating that he might really have hopped in his time machine and escaped back to the future. End quote. And uh, yeah, I don't know when this article was published. Uh, It doesn't look that old. But... Um... There are like um, a handful of stories that are like this where, I, again, it just sounds like a really lame excuse. Like mm-hmm. if, if I was caught for insider trading, I might say, no, no, no. I, I, just, I could just tell that that's what was going to happen. Like you have to determine with an insider trading uh, case that what insider trading is is that you literally have inside information about the, what's going on inside of a company and then you make uh, you make a bet on the stock market based on something that you know is going to happen in the near future, and that was something that was what Martha Stewart ended up in prison for because she made like a wild stock market decision uh, right before um, a major reworking of her own company, which is like the <laughs> biggest no-no. You definitely don't want to do that with your own company. So obviously, people that own companies, they know when like a secret merger is going to happen between you and another com- company. And if somebody working for that company, like a janitor or um, customer service or something like that, they were to somehow overhear that decision uh, that was going to happen. They, they somehow, or you know, if they were upper management even, and they learned that the, there was going to be a big merger or whatever. And then they, they went to the stock market and made a major change and then ended up getting hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars because of this. That's illegal. You can't do that. Um, that's not because that works against the whole spirit of the stock market. So, but that being said, 
Uh, there's a lot of funny quotes in this article. Like, uh, so apparently he made 350 between, uh, yeah, he, he turned $800 into $350 million. So that's pretty insane. Uh, but here, quote, the only way he could, could have pulled it off is with illegal inside information, says the SEC insider close to the investigation. Quote, this time travel stuff is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> but what's really interesting, though, is that nobody has ever found him. And I guess if you have $350 million, it'd be pretty hard to find you. Like, you, yeah, could, you could probably, you could just be anywhere you wanted, really. Yeah. Though the man does have a very distinct. I don't know face. how much a space. I don't know how much a spaceship costs, mm. but you might be able to be on. <laughs> mm, I think a spaceship costs a little bit more than three hundred and fifty million dollars. But you could buy a, f a small fleet of battleships for that amount of money, and you could just defend sure your small island that you buy with. Well, that. yeah, you could have as much plastic surgery as you wanted. Well, that's the other you could thing. Buy a new identity. The guy has a pretty distinct face, but you know, I guess if if you were to put a, f a few million into facial reconstruction, grow a beard. Yeah, just buy a new identity. He could afford to buy a new identity, yeah. I mean, that is all way more plausible than he's, he mm. went back to his timeline. Yeah. Besides, like, 250 years in the future, do you think that, like, the money that we have today will still be worth anything in that but time? But isn't, isn't that what happened with Back to the Future? That yeah, he had, like, exactly. a dollar in his bank account or something? And then when he went to use his bank account again, like Marty McFly, like he had like a dollar in there in like 1980 something. And then when he looked in it, the account was still there. But with interest, it was now worth millions of dollars. You're thinking of uh, Futurama. And that was, oh, was that Futurama? That was, that was Fry. Yeah. <laughs> that was Fry. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the Back to the Future one was the, uh, he went to the future and he bought, he bought an almanac and then the... Uh, Biff found you can out about it. buy imitations of those. Oh, yeah. That's well, cool. Well, do you know, it was only like two years ago that, um, two or three years ago, it was like 2016 or 2018? 2016. Mm. That's when Back to the Future 2 was supposed to take place. So we should have yeah. hoverboards by now. We should have yeah. uh, shoes that are self-tying. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny that we thought of the same thing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't want to have to tie my shoes anymore. Yeah. God damn it. We're both equally lazy. Um, all right. Should we take another break? Because we've only got 40 minutes to do our stories. Yeah. Yeah. We'll uh, go over a few stories, uh, a few uh, listener stories, and uh, maybe I, I, maybe read a couple more Super Chats before we head out. And uh, yeah, so we'll just take another three to five minute break. And uh, yeah, stay tuned because we had like a lot of responses about shadow people after I spoke about my... Um, sleep paralysis story last week so i think you're going to really enjoy those oh we got a ton of new super chats so yeah we're definitely going to get those to those in the next segment so stick with us folks we are back uh we actually got a ton of super chats right at the end of the last segment so you know what we're just going to go over the super chats again before we start the listener stories. Um, okay, wow. You guys are all so generous. Thank you so much. Um, let's see. So starting from uh, Iron Wolf Spear again. Thanks for the super chat. Escape from Tarkov. Fun game. I recommend steep learning curve, but worth popping commies. 
LOL. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love. Do you know, Greg? I do love it when you just read things out without. Going. <laughs> <I know. laughs> just deadpan can. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're just like. Uh, why did you not read it first? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm never anonymous again. Pretty sure I swapped universes. Sent an email, G. All right, awesome. Thanks for the email, and thanks for the second super chat. Uh, we'll let you know as soon as we read it. Uh, we've gotten a handful of really interesting ones recently. Um, they're all interesting. Oh I'm, no, they're I all they're all interesting. Obviously, I mean, all we love your we love your stories, and of course, encourage you all to email. Fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com. Your personal accounts of a strange, bizarre, supernatural thing that has happened to you. Again, the same sort of vein as Art Bell's Coast to Coast. Uh, David, or Devil David, thanks for the super chat. Uh, Stein's Gate also includes references to the Philadelphia experiment. The anime is considered a masterpiece. Oh, yeah, well. it's really good. Um, See, I love a little, I am a little secret anime fan. <laughs> I have a feeling like you'll... It's one thing that Greg and I don't have in common. Well, I... does Dragon Ball Z... Um, and It's a gateway. gateway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've watched a handful. It's not like you'd never be able to get me to watch one. I'm sure that if yeah. if you really liked it and you put it on, I would mm. I would watch it with you. Because um, I love Tokyo Ghoul and um, Arjun, all of those kind of ones. I've never heard of any of those. They're, they're pretty fun. Okay. Um, let's see. Jaximus Prime Rib again. Thank you again. Uh, I have been saving up some stories for you guys. Which, yes. Which would you be interested in hearing? Um, uh, your story about aliens? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All of them. What, yeah. does, it, does it say it there? Yeah. No, it doesn't. He didn't list the stories. But, oh, interested. Um, oh, okay. He actually did in a separate super chat. Um, I'll just oh. skip to that one. Uh, wow, you're being very generous, bud. Thank you. So he says, a haunting, uh, a spectral car accident. That sounds cool. Two UFO encounters. Okay. A child recalling a past life. That's okay. I love past life. Seeing future events through dreams. Well, I have to say that that is something mm -hmm. that's happened to me. Uh, hearing voices of the dead. That's cool. And Sounds a, like you could write a whole book. Yeah, and a child talking to the dead. Uh, Jaximus, I want you to send us every single one of those stories. And send them in separate emails. Uh, yeah. I guess the two UFO encounters, you can put in the same story. Um, but yeah, separate all of those into different emails so that we can uh, organize them all into the proper episodes. But I want to hear every single one of those stories. Do you know what I would love to do? Like a little pet project that we can put together. What's that? Is I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but there wasn't too many like there wasn't too many emails that came through. Um, but I'm just so fascinated by scary campfire stories from all around the world. You know, so I thought that would be fun to do a just like you know those stories that you that your parents would tell you or you'd talk about when you were kids like around the campfire okay you know, you well freak I, yourself I love campfire stories like I used to be in uh, yeah. boy scouts and that's what we do at camp yeah. every night is we tell and so, campfire stories and that's one of my favorite things to do is to tell 
uh, scary campfire stories. Like it's kind of like the the creepy passes of old. Yeah, um, and so I'd love for if people wrote in like campfire stories that they remembered that scared them mm-hmm. when they were out camping, and you know before winter's out, we can all like. You know, just toast some marshmallows on our gas stoves and um, <laughs> just pretend <laughs> like yeah. we're telling ghost stories. I love that idea. Absolutely, I'm on board. So that's another, like, if people are asking what, what kind of stories you want, I would love to hear your campfire stories from your childhood. Okay. Uh, Max Taylor, thank you for the super chat, uh, again says, another thing is that he pointed at and- uh, Andorra and claimed that uh, that is where his country was, and it existed for like one thousand years. Argued about the name with the guards. Yeah. yeah so um, that's the man from Turid. So Andorra, I think Andorra is one of those city states I was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Andorra, country like in pro- Europe. No, it is a country. Problem. It is like a city state. It's technically a country. So. Okay. Um, yeah, and it is right on the border of France and Spain. So it's possible that it, you know, he came from an alternate reality where Andorra um, was instead this other country. What was the name of it again? Torrid. Torrid, right. He's the man from Torrid, so mm-hmm. uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the country that the man from Torrid was from? <laughs> yeah, what's the number for 911? Um Wolf Iron Wolf Spear again. Thank you. Uh, quick question: uh, When do you usually read emails? Since I'm new to watching the show, New York City uh, has a serial killer on the loose. Don't ride the subway. Oh, that's good. That's good advice. Thank you. Uh, we usually read the stories at the end of every podcast, and sometimes we do an episode that's just stories, uh, bonus episodes. Uh, Ab Abjuron. Uh, butterfly effect is funny with time travel. You predict the change. Uh, you you predict and change the odds. So you can't ever be proven wrong. Love the show, Greg and Patrice. Thanks for the love, bud. Uh, Max Taylor again. Thanks for the super chat. Last minute super chat. The 1850s Devil's Footprint incident in uh, Devon, UK is strange. Sadly, there isn't enough details to make any conclusions. Uh, Devil's Footprint in 1850. So I have to look that up. Is that like a similar kind of thing to the uh, Jersey Devil? Okay, so there, it looks like there were like, they looked, there were tracks. Yeah. Um, Wow. They look kind of like horseshoe prints. (gasps) Yeah, no, don't you remember when my dad sent that? like picture right. to us well okay so not that long ago i would say only about two months ago patrice's father three months yeah ago? patrice's father sent us these bizarre horse hoof <laughs> prints um but what was interesting about them is that there were only two of them on his entire driveway or walkway or whatever mm. that there were there were no horses in the area and mm. uh they were also quite small like they weren't yeah. like it would have been like a pony or, you know, it, like I said, it was only two like it was a man with horse feet. Um, so that was like and what was also really bizarre is it looked like it, there was a lot of weight on them because it displaced 
it was on hard surface, like hard gravel yeah. surface. Uh, mm. and so it, like on a surface like that, you have to be very heavy to leave any kind of print at all. And there was definitely some displacement, which was very impressive. So that was, um, that was freaky. I would wonder if those were devil's footprints too. Oop. I don't know. Whatever they were, it was really bizarre. Hit my microphone. Um, <laughs> let's see. I think we got a couple more here before we move on to the, the emails. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, just one more from Iron Wolf Spear. My favorite anime is Cory in the House. Best anime period. I think that's like a... <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the jokes, bud. Thanks for the super chats, everybody. Uh, let's go on to the stories. Alrighty, so we did have like a lot of people responding to my shadow people story from last week. Oh, excellent. Um, so we're doing shadow and people. Once, yeah, and it's kind of funny because I didn't even, I had had sleep paralysis before. So this, the shadow person that I saw that time, I had like brought on myself so that I wasn't afraid of sleep paralysis anymore because okay. I'd only had it once before then. Right. And so then I had like put myself into an altered state so that I could not be afraid of it well, the, you because know, I wanted to take that control back. You know that they say that things like um, alien abductions and stuff like that, those sorts of experiences are also <laughs> a result of sleep paralysis. Yes, and I'm just thankful that I did not see a little grey alien at the end of my bed because I can tell you right now, hand on my heart, that I would absolutely have not been able to mentally cope with that. Um, do, so you have, do you have a story that I can read too or do you just want to read them all? Um. You can read some stories if you want, or I can just I'll read, read them. It's up you, to know, you, really. you can read them. That's fine. I'm okay. fine with you reading them. I actually kind <laughs> of, right. I have a kind of a migraine today, so it's um, mm. my vision's a little bit blurry, guys. Sorry if I uh, if I don't seem as energetic as usual. <laughs> I want to start with, though with, and I chose this one. It's unbiased. Okay. It's a biased story. Okay. Because I see I see you New Zealanders out there. <laughs> I'm watching the analytics. Ah, uh, the Kiwis. And I reckon that they must know. They must be able to tell that I'm half Kiwi out there mm -hmm. because New Zealand has started popping up as like you know within the top kind of ten countries that listen, and they've never been there before. So yeah, I chose this story because it's from New Zealand. Yeah, if if any of you are out there wondering what the hell I'm thinking, uh. <laughs> Uh, you know, associating with an, a dirty Australian. Don't worry, she is half Kiwi, so she's not all bad. Okay. So, weird ghost story from New Zealand. Okay. New Zealand's a very spiritual place, very magical place. Uh, it seems magical. I can't wait to explore it. Like, it, it really is. does seem like it's straight out of Lord of the Rings. It's just the most, it's honestly. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but there's just something about it. It's a very spiritual place as well. Mm -hmm. You know, old world. I guess because it is ancient, like it's very oh, it's, prehistoric. It's even. properly ancient. Yes. Yeah, and it's just um. Even like the megafauna. Anyway, I could like <laughs> the megafauna that used to be there before it went extinct is like among some of the most um, bizarre. Like the birds, they, Bird the life, largest. The largest birds in modern in recent history at least we like talk about that when they found that leg right that was kind of in a cave well yeah there's of a, the mower and it looked fresh but yeah. it had been dead for a long time but. yeah well yeah like the they have birds there that are similar to like emus and ostriches and stuff that their leg is like seven foot tall 
just the leg. Um, and then also there was an eagle there. Um, yeah, that, was that used to eat them all. That was as large as a man. That used, literally used to eat the giant <laughs> ostriches. Like, imagine that. Imagine that. And the, the thing there, is... No, Kiwis will take a very big offense from hearing you call a moa an ostrich. Okay, so these moa, though, they were like mini T-Rexes, you know? They would, they would actually <laughs> kill... They would hunt and kill people. And imagine being hunted and stalked by one of these things, and then an even bigger bird swoops out of the sky and, and picks it off. That that's yeah. like straight out of Star Wars. But they just have beautiful birds there. Really There's always birds, a bigger really bird. bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So it starts with Hi Greg and Patrice. I've been listening to Full Metal Tuxedo since it started, and I thought I'd share my own creepy experience. I won't call it a paranormal experience because I believe there's probably a solid explanation for what I've experienced, but it's stuck with me and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I live in New Zealand and in every year at the beginning of the year, my family likes to rent a place by a lake for a short holiday. Um, in 2018, we rented a 1930s villa. Now, if I don't say this right, my dad's going to be so upset with me. Um, next to Lake Okaraka. Okaraka. Lake Okaraka. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> the room I was staying in <laughs> was very small, more like a large closet. It had a bookshelf full of old stuffed animals. I pretty much immediately took down all the stuffed animals and hid them in the corner of my room by the foot of the bed because I didn't want them staring at me all night while I tried to sleep. Fair enough. Fair enough. The bed I was... The bed was a small bunk bed that I barely fit in. I'm five foot nine and the mattress of the top bunk was moved to another room because my younger brother wanted to sleep in the same room as his friends. The house was pretty creepy. There was a very old rocking horse in the foyer, strange clay, clay masks hanging on the wall and a framed letter from an eight-year-old girl to a politician discussing her fears of nuclear war. If I remember correctly, it was dated sometime from the 1960s. Okay. So they're just like the kind of um, eclectic decorations that right. were in the house. What freaked me out the most, however, was that every night when I was trying to get to sleep, I would hear the distinct sound of heavy breathing coming from the foot of my bed. Okay. <laughs> there that was a be... distinct breathe in followed by a breathe out. That, okay. Distinct. So I, I take it at your, I take you at your word there that the, uh, that it was that obvious. That it wasn't mm. just in your head. Occasionally, it would stop for a few minutes before returning. I'd lead towards it to try and get a better idea of where it was coming from. That's brave. Yeah, that's fairly brave. <laughs> Though I can imagine I would probably do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'd sometimes hear it when I woke in the morning, but generally it only happened at night. It seemed to be a constant feature of the house, as when we came back in 2019, I would hear the breathing again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the room was next to the bathroom so it's possible that the noise was caused by the pipes but the noise never changed when someone would flush the toilet or turn the extractor fan on the extractor fan and i'm not sure how pipes could create a sound identical to human breathing i also theorized that it could have been the wind but it never changed when the speed of the wind would change i personally don't believe in the paranormal and it probably is an explanation for this which i haven't considered but i can't get over how similar this sound was to human breathing it's possible that there was something in the attic or something in the floor below you that yeah. was sort of sliding back and forth you know because of wind yeah. or because of the function of it and that 
once that sound sort of traveled through the wall or through the floor, it's it turned into like a breathing sort of sound. But I I don't know. Like I that is pretty well, the, creepy though. Yeah. Um, well, the reason that I brought this up and wrote and like read this with the other ones that I'm going to talk about shadow beings in a moment is that when it comes to sleep paralysis, you know, you, you don't just have to, your hypnagogic hallucinations don't just have to be um, visual. visual. Yeah, exactly. Be auditory. Well, quite you often know, people, quite often people, like, like I said, even alien abductions are considered yeah. a, uh, a byproduct of sleep paralysis. And because when, yeah, so like it does sort of like in the same way in like a dream, you hear people talking like mm. that can still happen in the hypnagogic state, as Patrice said. Yeah, like I think most people, have you ever had that experience when you're like sick? Mainly it happens to me when I'm like sick or, you know, if I'm super tired, like when you're falling asleep, like you have those jerks where you feel like you jerk out of your body, like that's yeah. a hypnagogic yeah. kind of, you know, Um hallucination but also i've heard things like fall like, yeah oh i've heard, felt like I i've hear, heard things crash oh yeah i've heard that too i've had that too like uh, quite mm. a few things that that fall under the sleep paralysis umbrella i've experienced but i've never had any of those like vivid experiences where um i literally interacted with or felt the presence of another being um because yeah, short of the fact that she said that she got up and leant into it, I could have could surmise that maybe what it was was it was herself breathing that she could hear, but because mm. she was in like you know a sleep paralysis state, that she was just thinking that it was coming from something else. Right. It's like you know how sometimes people wake themselves up with their own snoring, thinking right. that it's somebody else snoring. Yeah, it's, but really it's it's possible themselves. it's possible too that uh, her experience of even just getting out of bed and leaning forward that all of that was in her head and she wasn't even doing that and that she was even in sort of a, a dream state sort of imagining mm. that she was doing that. Um, but um, that being said, the fact that it would only happen in that room and then it, wouldn't, mm. it, it didn't happen after she left and that the sound was always coming from a, the same spot, um, mm. that consistency tells me that it probably was something environmental as opposed to something in her own head. And and then the next day, the, sorry, the next day, the next, <laughs> the next year, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being the next year as well, hearing the same thing. Right, exactly. But maybe she already had that expectation bias that there was going to be right. something like that I was happening. Thinking, I was thinking that too. But um, so that is possible. I wonder if, if she went back to that place again now, if she'd still experience that or not. Mm. Um, I have my own shadow being story is that um, it didn't, I guess it's, I guess it sort of scared me a little bit. I've always been I've always been pretty sure that ghosts exist and whenever I have a ghost experience like I'll I'll get that tingle up my back the hair standing up on on my arms kind of experience but I never got other than one time uh I never really got so scared that I felt like I had to leave or that I was uncomfortable um but I guess the closest to that um was that when I was a kid um living in a, we lived in an old like 200 year old farmhouse and it was very creepy i would looking back i think it was pretty obviously haunted um but uh in my bedroom i had a, a room to myself at one point and uh it was like 
It was kind of a creepy room. It was big. It was definitely a lot bigger than I needed for that age. Um, and the closet door was always open. And every night, like my, I was basically, when I was sleeping, I was facing the closet. When I opened my eyes, the first thing I see is my closet open. And I was always convinced that there was, I would call it the man, the man in black. There was a man wearing all black in my closet. And he would just stand in my closet staring at me all night, every mm. night, every night. And nice. he never came out. He never Did came out. Did you ever out. see his eyes? No. He never came out. He never interacted with me, never said a word, never did anything, never touched anything, never interacted with anything in my environment. But every night he was in there watching me sleep. Did it scare you? Maybe it did a little bit at first. Maybe I think I might have like kind of pulled the covers over my head to fall asleep a couple times. But then after, okay. maybe this is the reason why today I'm not so scared of ghosts, but I'm still, I'm convinced that they're real is because I got to a point where I just learned to tolerate it. Like, obviously I never told anybody. I didn't want anybody in my house to think I was crazy that like, I'm convinced that there's this man in black standing in my closet every night. But it was, it was literally every mm. night for, I don't know, maybe four or five years. I wasn't in that room for very long. Did he move? No. Um, so he never moved, never saw I mean, he was, he was almost always standing in the same place in the closet. Okay. Um, and so even when the clothes moved and things were different. Oh, yeah. Even when I moved. still saw that. Right. And when the light came up in the morning, like I'd basically forget that he was even in there. I'd go into my closet. I'd move stuff around. Um, yeah. And the state of my closet was never the same. Like I'd obviously I've changed like I pull stuff off the racks and off the shelves all the time. And, but he, he would always be standing in the exact same corner every single night. Shadow man. He was a shadow man though. I and know. did he have like a hat on? Yeah, he did. It kind of like um, a flat brimmed hat with a flat top. Kind of yeah. like, um, I don't know the name of it. The name of that hat. Um, a fedora or something like that. Like similar, a... yeah. More like a, an older Western, like an older okay. one, though. Like from something oh, from Oh, like the... the ones that like the priests would wear or whatever. Yeah, like the, exactly. The sheriff's hat. He, was, Those ones had a he was dressed sort of like a priest. I almost said Quaker, yeah. but it's not quite a Quaker. It was more like a priest um, or like an old sheriff. Yeah, so it was more like a late 1800s style hat. Okay. Um, and and, and about... he was wore one of those old, like it was a long coat black pants right. long black coat and it was like the collar of the coat went all the way up to the bottom of his neck yeah i'm thinking like wyatt earp kind of looking yeah very similar to that those kind of duster coats yeah it was a, it was basically like if i had to if i had to put my finger on it i would say he sort of looked like a an old wild west or an old 1800s priest basically okay all right okay I'll put one of those on i'll put, find an image of I'll find an image of that and okay. put it on the story as Excellent. well. If you, can find, if you can find one that you think looks like what you saw. That's crazy. So he never moved, always stood in the same spot, no matter if there was clothes in there. I think I'm like, I think he may have not. like I think he may have like moved his head a bit or may have swayed his bo may have swayed his body a little bit from time That's to time. Even worse. Imagine if you were like just staring laying in your bed and you're looking at something going, Wow, 
the shadows at the clothes in there make like really make it look like it's a person in there yeah and then next minute it moves its head and you're like oh my gosh yeah like, like what do you even like the, whatever movements he made were extremely small and subtle but it was he was always standing in the same spot so yeah let's just okay. go on to the next email here all right well, i love that story that's great <laughs> thank you i've never had i've never seen like aside from what i brought on myself mm -hmm. i have never seen a shadow person like that interesting like not the classic shadow person with the hat or I the veil i mean i see them in the corner of my eye from time to time or very briefly if i'm going through like a dark place but that i always chalk okay. that up to like a trick of trick of the eye trick of the mind mm. but what what i witnessed as a kid was definitely not in my head not that okay all right so the next uh email comes from jacques all right so he says hi guys my name's jacques and i wanted to preface that for the longest part of my life i've not been spiritual or religious person and i have only just begun to rethink my beliefs which is what has drawn me to the podcast after being a longtime fan of the channel excellent yeah so we're right. very we're big fans of always constantly changing it's okay to change your mind oh yeah it's okay to be, it's okay to believe one thing one day and then when something else comes to light that you you know you're allowed to do that you shouldn't oh. be Patrice and I do that yeah. literally constantly. <laughs> like even halfway through a conversation, I'll she'll start off being the believer and I'll start off being the skeptic. And then by the end of the conversation, <laughs> I'm trying to convince her and she's telling me I'm crazy. So that happens all the time. <laughs> I've had sleep paralysis quite a number of times throughout my life, but the most significant was when I was eight living in Victoria, Australia. Oh no, oh, I did it again, did didn't you? I? This is, this is... <laughs> This is not the Australia show, Patrice. <laughs> <laughs> Clear favoritism being played on this show. Oh. <laughs> I live in a particular house that was essentially the kitchen and living quarters of the servants for the people who founded my hometown. The founder's house is now a museum that backs onto the house that we live in, separated by only a single fence. Some interesting features of the house included that one of the bedrooms had an old ventilator built into the wall. Regarding my sleep paralysis experience, I awoke one night to find that I could only move my eyes and no other part of my body. So that's, that's what classic, happened to me when I had. That's classic sleep paralysis condition. So you can open your eyes, but you can't move anything else. Right. I saw the outline of a person standing beside my bed, leaning over to look at my face. Jesus Christ. That's up there that is like that is terror. terrifying yes <laughs> almost as if if they were checking on my, his breathing mm. um so that's kind of interesting the ventilator built in right someone checking on someone breathing right like, you know if there's a built-in ventilator maybe someone needed help yeah that makes a lot of sense night, maybe um, when I say the, an outline of a person, it was like an intense version of the visual static that you see when you look at a blank white wall. Oh, I know, what, I know what he means by that. greens and purples. Yeah. And you know what? When I read that, so I listened to um, like the Monsters Among Us podcast as well. And the, co the host on there talks a lot about um, like mirrored men mm -hmm. and like, beings that do almost appear like static -y. yeah they look shimmery almost like the pred yeah. the predator from yeah the predator it was a combination of greens and purples if you get what i mean it formed the shape of a tall man with no features 
I tried to speak, but due to the paralysis, I couldn't. And eventually, I mustered a single word. Uh, uh, aliens. <laughs> Why did you say aliens. that? Why? You say Jesus. Yeah, Jesus protect <laughs> me. Aliens. Why? When I said it, the figure stood up and started and moved away slowly, almost like it was wading through knee-deep water. Ooh. My mother heard me from the other room, so it must have been loud enough. But she did not check on me. The next morning, she assumed that I had a nightmare. Hmm. Interesting. As a kid, I did not know what aliens were supposed to look like. I never watched any form of scary TV shows or anything like that. Reflecting back on this experience, it could have been anything. But my best explanation, as someone who now has a psych degree, is the scientific explanation of panic-induced hallucination. The only thing that makes me skeptical of that explanation, though, is when I experience sleep paralysis again throughout the rest of my life, about four or five, uh, five to six times, I've not seen such a figure. Most typically, I just eventually regain control of my body and everything is okay. However, the most recent time I experienced sleep paralysis, a few months ago, I'm now 23, I felt like someone was watching me, but by the time I could move and look around, there was nothing there. So he said, I wanted to ask Patrice how similar this experience was to yours. It's okay if it's not similar, but based on your description, I thought I'd weigh in. Please keep up the great work, your podcast. Keep me company while I embark on the lonely journey of a PhD. Look, good luck with your PhD. Well, yeah, good luck with the PhD, bud. Um, and that will probably definitely be inducing more sleep paralysis episodes, the stress well, of that. Yeah, well, and that's, that's that was what I was going to say is that that's one of the common denominators with sleep paralysis is often... It, well, it, it only like certain people seem to be more prone to it. And also it seems to happen when they're undergoing immense stress. stress. Mm -hmm. And so they're obviously the scientific explanation for that is that your mind is playing tricks on you. And that um, because you're so stressed, like you're sort of waking up before your body's even properly waking up. And it's like... Um, and then, you know, you're imagining something that is only inducing more stress on top of that situation. Mm. Um, so in that particular instance, I, I would say that it wasn't similar to that because I, when I saw that shadow being, I had done it on purpose. So I don't even think that you could say that it was like sleep paralysis because it was more like just putting myself in an altered state you know um but when i had first, my, the sleep paralysis the first time like when it was unprovoked i would say that it was that similar kind of sensation but i didn't see an alien like it, it was actually kind of strange it was strange how that sleep paralysis story um happened because it was literally daytime when i had it so it wasn't even at night it was probably about 9 30 in the morning and I was having, I had a dream, but the dream was just like a normal dream. And it was kind of funny, actually. I was like a detective, like in this dream, like Charlie's Angel. <laughs> so I was like okay. this Charlie's Angels kind of, it almost had that like life, life on Mars kind of vibe. Like I was in the 70s and I was like a Charlie's Angels kind of like detective. And basically we got to the end of the like dream where we ended up catching the bad guy and we were putting cuffs on him and like the the partner that was the other policeman was just started staring at me and 
I remember feeling like this sensation of like foreboding because it wasn't, it was like, it was like a static image. So, you know, like when someone stares at you, but it was like, but you know that they're staring at you because they want to say something. But this was like, it just stopped. So it was like the movie stopped and this person was just staring at me. And um, and this is in the dream. And so I was like, what? Because I was still in that dream state, living in that dream kind of state. And then it was then that like, like the person slashed at me with their hands but their hands had like claws on them and I felt it like I felt it like scratch across me and so that is then what woke me up like instantly and as I was laying there I could still feel it Mm -hmm. so I could still feel that this hot sensation it was like a white hot sensation that something had scratched me Mm -hmm. and as I was laying there I realized I was awake, but it was daytime. So it was like 9.30 in the morning. And there was like a big mirror, like next to the bed. And the window was on the other side. So I could see like the light coming in from the window as well as the light, like reflecting in the mirror. And I had the typical feeling like there was a second copy of myself laying on top of me. Mm -hmm. Like I could feel the weight of myself. And I couldn't move and I couldn't speak. I could only move my eyes. And as I was laying there, I felt that there was something in the room, but I couldn't, I could only move my eyes. And when I looked to the window, there was nothing there. But when I looked in the mirror, I saw a giant tarantula on the roof. On the ceiling, yeah. Yeah, on the ceiling. So it was this humongous spider. And that's the whole thing with seeing is believing. I don't believe that because if you ask me what I saw, I would tell you that I saw like a one and a half foot tarantula on the on the the ceiling, mm-hmm. and I could even see the way the light reflected off its eyes. I could see like all its little individual hairs. So it was a vivid and, image then. Yeah, but you know, I can surmise that by saying that I'm somebody that has a, that's a very vivid image. Mindset. Yeah, yeah, and I have. You know, like this, even listening to that dream, like I can lucid dream. I can remember my dreams. I dream in great detail. So it's not surprising for me to see a very vivid looking anatomically correct spider on mm-hmm. the ceiling. But then when I moved my eyes to where it would be in real life, there was nothing there. And then I moved them back to the mirror where I could see it. And then it was above me on the bed. And it was like it was going to come down and jump on top of me. But then as soon as I could move my hands, like I started to move my fingers and the image just faded away. Mm-hmm. And that's when I could get up and I was like, wow, that's so cool because I just had sleep paralysis. And, you know, I had learned all about that. But then to actually like experience it, I can imagine how scary that would be if you had no idea about that. You'd think you were crazy. So th- that the feeling like something's on your chest, that's the most common thing that people mm. report with sleep paralysis more they report that more commonly than seeing or feeling other presences though that's the second most common thing is yeah knowing that there's another presence in the room with you and then on top of that so yeah the most common one is feeling like something's on mm. your chest and i think that the um i don't sleep on my back um basically ever so i've you know i've never felt that but i can I think that maybe the explanation for feeling like something's on top of you is that 
when you wake up, your initial sort of instinct will be to move at least just a little mm. bit. And the thing is that with sleep paralysis, your body isn't, your brain has not, that part of your brain that controls your body has not woken up. Only your, <laughs> your consciousness has started to wake up, but it doesn't have control of your body yet. So it's going, you're thinking that you're sending signals to your body to move and it's not moving. And then, so your body, it's likely that your body is responding back to your brain with an error message saying, cannot move something yeah. is weighing us down it's it's your luck it's the lack of oxygen yeah. that wakes you up well because that's, that's you the stop other breathing. thing that's the other thing and is so, you stop breathing uh, right so at least regularly so, yeah so that's why a lot of people with sleep apnea also experience sleep paralysis mm -hmm. you know some people stop you know like 60 times an hour and stuff like that they stop breathing mm. so that's what i had a nightmare and so the nightmare is what Obviously, when that when I had that nightmare about that thing attacking me, and the fact that I felt it, mm -hmm. right, that was the weirdest part. That that faded as well as soon as the um, like I could move, I couldn't feel that right. anymore. So the uh, the skeptical argument for that would be that mm -hmm. you were still in a semi dream state, so you could yeah. still experience what happened in your dream in, yes. in real life. And I've had that but happen before I, too, where something really but have awful you ever felt pain in a dream i've never felt pain in a dream and i um, to this day have never felt pain in a dream not this felt like white hot yeah. it was literally like when you you know when you burn yourself but it felt like i had been burned mm. interesting and that's kind of that's the one thing which kind of makes me think maybe it was a bit of column a bit of column b like a little bit of psychic attack a little bit of sleep paralysis you know like that's the only that's the one thing that i grapple with with that story okay but that is interesting. I mean, I've, I've felt pain like, um, yeah, something like terrible happened to me. I can't remember the exact details, but I've had that happen a couple of times where something really terrible happened to me in a dream and I was pretty convinced I could feel it, but I wouldn't describe it as like vivid white hot mm. pain. No, no. Mm. But yeah, so I would say that my, that that is kind of similar to feel like there is something above you looking down at you that sensation excellent do we have another story um let me have a look i think i have one more hello greg and patrice my name's david from mexico Sorry if my English sucks. <laughs> so far, it's better English than okay. how I write. My English yeah. sucks too, so don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, Patrice's story about sleep paralysis and Greg saying that sleep paralysis are normal in atheists make me remember something to, that happened to me 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. That was something the, I said last week is that it's yeah. sleep paralysis seems to be extremely common among atheists. Mm -hmm. For starters, I'm an agnostic. I don't particularly believe in ghosts or religion or other spiritual things. I accept the fact that there's probably aliens, but that's about it. Years ago, I was interested in lucid dreams and things like that. So it seems it just seems fun to control your dreams. I never use drugs and I don't even drink alcohol, so I was not drugged. Okay. I read some methods to try and enter in lucid dreams on the internet. I will not go into specifics, but not long in the process, my body starts to feel very heavy like the bed itself was swallowing me. 
I start to feel a little scared but decided to keep going. Then as I was feeling my body being swallowed by the bed, I feel like another force was pulling me up. Oh. Not my body but me. I was not being pulled by someone like a demon or entity. It was just like my mind or my soul was being separated from my body. (laughs) At that point, I was so scared that I tried to move my body, but I couldn't even move a finger. I tried to keep as calm as I could be, considering that my body and my mind were being separated. I started thinking a lot, concentrating on moving my fingers and my arms. After some time, my body started moving again and the trance was over. So I turned on the TV and fall asleep with the TV again on. Never even, again, even at that age, I was some sort of an agnostic and I don't believe in anything supernatural happening to me, but it scared me enough to never, ever try something like that again. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I know it's nothing super amazing and the second language doesn't help, but it's the only strange thing that's ever happened to me. Big fan, keep up the, the work. Saludos, amigos. So I wonder, you know, if if we're not again sort of encroaching onto the territory of sleep paralysis where your body and your mind are in different states and they're not, they have not matched up that, you know, your brain is sort of reaching a point of REM sleep, but you're... Or Astro projection. Ast- so that's, yeah. So maybe what we're talking about here is the astral realm. And that's so interesting. The best part about that email is that he never spoke about astral projection. He was just trying a lucid dream. Yeah. Yeah. So that, he, what's happened to you is that you were about to astral project. Yeah. Which, very, very smart. I've never, have you ever astral projected? I've never. I've been too scared. I've, I'm too scared I'm, too. I'm, I'm a little afraid too. Because what they say is once you do that, there's things that are out there that will notice that you're doing it. And they'll, uh, they'll come after you. But then there's also really interesting stories about people that just keep going up and up and up and up. And each time they go up to a new level, they find more and more interesting things. Yeah. Um, I think it would be so intriguing to like, well, he was projection, he a, was a perfect, viewing. He was perfectly describing the sensation that people feel when they astral project, though, that their body sinks. And then um, like mm. I heard that one of the one of the things to do is sort of imagine yourself climbing a ladder okay and uh sort of like you as you fall asleep and you let your body sort of sink you imagine yourself climbing a ladder constantly and then that'll induce this feeling that'll allow Mm. your astral self to sort of leave your body Mm. um yeah i mean there's lots of different schools of thought on astral projection i've even met christians that say that they that they've done it so Mm -hmm. um it's not like just a new age thing um that i can well, i guess it's i can imagine the like, sensation it's being a shamanic unsettling. thing like being able to put yourself it's it's not just new age like it's a it is being able to put yourself into an altered state like that mm. and is been around for eons i guess yeah fair enough it's a spiritual spiritual like a lot of shamans sort of but I guess that that sounds an awful lot like sleep paralysis too, though, doesn't it? That um, you're just feeling a detachment from your body, mm-hmm. like you have no control over it. Um, yeah, but see, that's the thing you're meant to like. If you if you prepare yourself, you should be able to to 
control yourself right. when you astral project. Right. I've heard lots of stories about people like basically astral um, projecting when they are like um, like coming out of anesthesia. Really? Yeah. Like even my mum has um, like said things like that where she could see my dad sitting next to her. Really? Like in, yeah, when she had had an operation and he was like reading a book. But then when like when she came to, she remembered that in the hospital, like going through the hospital. But then where my dad was, was not, he was doing that, but he wasn't doing that. Next next to her. Next to her, yeah. Interesting. Where was he? Do you remember? I don't know. He was in like one of the waiting rooms. Like they wouldn't let you be in the recovery room. So her astral self was sitting with him in the waiting room then, basically. Yeah, like that that kind of stuff. That is really interesting. Because that's, yeah, I, and well, you know, the whole astral projection, remote viewing, are they two sides of the same coin? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that, well, yeah, remote viewing, um, if you don't know, is like a form, it's a form of psychic ability. It's something that like Mm -hmm. the CIA and the military have literally spent millions of dollars testing. Um, Mm -hmm. And there were, there were like, I think I mentioned it in one of my recent Tell Me More episodes on the Armored Skeptic channel. Um, There Mm -hmm. was this one guy that said that he could see all these deep underground military bases, um, but he was able to sort of see these uh, giant gantries and elevators and cranes and stuff in Russia. And they turned out to almost perfectly match up with like uh, spy images that the military mm. had, which was, there's no way he could have done that. Um, were they, what was the weird thing? Were they Scientologists or Mormons? Which? Those people that saw the, the gantries and all the strange Russian stuff. I knew that there was some connection. That's how they got into it because they were part of a church. I don't remember. Um, but there's like, there is, it does sound like there's something to, to astral, or not to astral projection, to um, remote viewing. But I guess that, you know, maybe remote viewing is a form of astral projection. Like, because um, I, I guess if you were to remote view yourself. But I, I mean. I don't know. And maybe it's just because um, maybe it's just because I can't really pinpoint an example of when I've been able to do this. I also have such a vivid imagination that anytime something like that happens to me, I sort of just chalk it up to my imagination. But I mm. mean, I've I've had instances where I could swear I was looking at myself from the outside. Um, mm. I mean, that that is also another thing that seems to happen to people undergoing immense stress or trauma. Um, mm-hmm. like victims of certain things will say that that's happened to them while uh, they were being victimized. And um, yeah, so it is possible that it is just a byproduct of the brain's function. Uh, but it's also possible that you are literally leaving your body so that you're not experiencing what's happening to your body. Um, yeah. Well, I think we're almost at a three hour mark. So we okay. better... All right, I think we have one. I've got five minutes left. Well, we got one more super chat, I think, and then uh, we can sign off here. Oh, we got three more. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, Chronic, 
thanks for the super chat, says, uh, my, I get sleep paralysis often, never visual, but audio and physical. Uh, I'll feel myself being touched, heavily breathing, uh, heavy breathing, TV static, and maybe like a, a Jericho siren. Oh, that's interesting. Now it doesn't phase me anymore. So it happens. It's a it's a regular occurrence. So that's I know a guy that has it happen to him regularly, and he went to a um, like a uh, a sleep. Uh, what do they call it? Doctor. Yeah, like a basically a sleep doctor. Spent time in the hospital, and they monitored him sleeping. And it literally mm -hmm. happened to him while he was they were filming him. Like it happens wow. that often to him that they could literally film it happening to him. And he was very scientific about it in his belief. He described it as like the brain waking up before the body. And you can even see the stages where he's like, he's trying to get up, he's trying to move and he can't. And it's it, that sort of sets on a state of panic. Like, like I said, the, the body and the brain not being able to communicate with each other uh, creates a panic in you. So that's why you feel like maybe something's on top of you, the weight. Uh, Jaximus Prime Rib, again, thank you for the super chat. Mad street cred going to Patrice, by the way, for being into anime. If you do end up watching Siren's Gate, let us know what you think about it. Well, maybe we'll have to watch it together, eh? Mm -hmm. uh, and then last one from Iron Wolf Spear. Uh, I've sent you an email about my first experience with uh, the Duende Shadow People. I kept it short to the point and uh, what happened, but the second, oh, maybe that's part one of two super chats here. Let's give you one more second for the second one to come through. Yes, there is a second one. Uh, this, my, the second experience was when I was an adult and with a demonologist, tried to make an audio, but it kind of hard to talk about it, but I should be able. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for the super chats, everybody. Thanks for the emails. Uh, and thanks for joining us for our sixth installment of Full Metal Tuxedo Podcast. Time flies by. Yeah. If uh, Again, we live stream this every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Armored Gregory YouTube channel. And then when we're done, we upload the final to the Armored Skeptic More YouTube channel and to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, hopefully we'll catch you next time and uh, have a good day, everybody. Have a lovely night. Don't forget to uh, connect with us on our socials if you want to stay on touch and uh, in touch with us and what we're doing during the week. That's right. The full metal. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Full Metal Tuxedo Instagram account, Full Metal Patrice Instagram account, and the Armored Skeptic Instagram account. And we'll keep you up to date on all upcoming podcasts and episodes of the Tell Me More series. All right, so after all that shadow being and sleep paralysis talk, have a lovely night. <laughs> yeah, get a good night's sleep tonight, everybody. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Good night.